Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... RoboCop is the tale of police officer Alex Murphy, who is murdered uh, viciously in the line of duty and resurrected as the cyborg operative RoboCop, a property of Omni Consumer Products in uh, this Paul Verhoeven movie that is way more uh, in-depth and uh, profound than its title and iconography would suggest. So... I'm really excited to dig into this classic today, and I do think it is a classic. There's, as I said, there's so much going on in this movie that makes it way more sophisticated than it appears at first glance. Um, but uh, I'm not doing it alone. I have uh, two partners with me on this ride. Uh, first, uh, he has been on many of our podcasts before. Most recently, uh, just to name a few, Mitch Hedberg. Uh, it's a great. Uh, you're the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and um, so many more. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, comedian Rich Baker. Thank you very much, Doug. Always glad to be here. And uh, my partner from my prior show, a podcast but evil, one of my best friends in the whole wide world, and my best man from a wedding. So that earned him the right to be here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Oster. Uh, it was an honor to do all of those things. <laughs> in at equal measure. Uh, so that was the, that uh, was my stipulation. I said, uh, I will be your best man, but if you ever do a podcast about RoboCop... <laughs> I need to be one of the guests. That's that was yeah. what we said to each other. And and now I'm making good on that. So yeah. at this point, we're clear. It took a while, um, but you finally did it. We did it. Um, so, uh, guys, I, I'm going to throw it to you uh, to get going here because we got a lot to talk about with this movie. So, um, Rich, I'll start with you. Uh, tell me your nostalgic memories of RoboCop and uh, why you were down to do this podcast today. Couldn't tell you exactly the first time I watched it, but I was probably around eight when it got uh, onto HBO after its theatrical run. And I was way too young to be seeing this movie, but uh, we had HBO and I didn't care. So I watched it. And I just remember, you know, I liked a lot of movies at that time, but this one had a feel that was different. I couldn't quite put it into words as a kid, but I mean, there was just something really, I loved the dystopian nature of it. I loved, uh, you know, the real human story behind it. And they just, and of course, you know, shiny cop, gun, gun, bang, bang, explode. So like it was just, it, it hit on so many levels. And I was like, there's something to this movie that's a little more than the average sci-fi action movie. Cool. 
Um, Dan, I'll throw the same question to you. Do you remember uh, your nostalgic memories of this? I think you actually own a, uh, you have a prop RoboCop gun, don't you? No, I, yeah, I have an airsoft gun of the uh, Auto 9, which is RoboCop's gun. Um, Where'd he get that fucking gun? Or whatever he say? <laughs> is, that, is that the line? <laughs> I get that fucking gun. Um, but uh, yeah, I do have a really cool, like, one-to-one looking replica of the gun at home. Um, I uh, actually found a guy in Etsy that like made like a, a, like a stand for it, which, so it's, it's got a place of honor in my home. Um, It's easier than keeping it in your thigh. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That would be difficult. Um, I don't have total body prosthesis, so that would be, uh, yeah, uh, childhood memories. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I feel like RoboCop to me is one of those things that's always been in my, in my head. I can't remember when I first saw it. I do remember when, I, I don't know when RoboCop 2 came out, but that must've been like 89, I'm going to guess. Does that sound about right? 90, somewhere in there. Anyway, uh, uh, I remember that, um, my grandfather who, you know, fought in World War II, <laughs> you know, brought us to go see RoboCop 2, and, and which is an it's, we're not going to talk about it, I don't think, today, really, but it's an ugly, evil movie, <laughs> and I feel really bad that he had to witness that after all the after all the horrors he had already seen. Um, I remember he did not like it, and he was a former police officer, so the, it was even worse. Um, I, I do remember, uh, one other thing I'll say is I did watch the cartoon as a kid, and I just loved that era of, like, movies that you absolutely should not... <laughs> have seen as a child but there's a saturday morning cartoon you know which is fun and whimsical and no one really gets hurt but you know this movie is bathed in blood so uh pretty pretty funny to like market that to children yeah i i uh saw this under very less than ideal conditions the first time but i have a very strong memory of the first time i saw it because i had sort of everyone was kind of aware of robocop uh i thought i saw it when i was 13 so this would have been 93 um, so it had been around for a while. I knew the iconography of RoboCop, um, but I hadn't seen it. I knew it was something that was, you know, too adult for me to see. But uh, I mentioned this on our episode on Rocky Four a long time ago, but I took a trip to Russia when I was 13. Uh, this was 93. So it was an OK time to actually go uh, as opposed to, you know, the 80s or now. And um Without getting into the details of all why we were there, um, it was a uh, school-related thing. But we spent seven days in Moscow, and they put us up with families there. So instead of being in a hotel, we were in someone's apartment. And it was on TV, but it was in Russian. And there was no like English <laughs> subtitles or anything. So the first time I saw this movie, it was in Russian. I believe I saw most of it, because I have a pretty strong memory of seeing the Murphy execution scene. Um, so at least from that far to the end of the movie, and I, I was able to pretty much follow everything that was happening in the movie plot wise, despite, you know, having no understanding of the dialogue. And I, I eventually came back to it later and, you know, I love the crap out of this movie. I think it's great. Um, but it's interesting that like so much of what makes this movie tick is like, you can still pick it up even if you have no idea what the characters are even saying i think someone said somewhere that that was good filmmaking that you could you know tell what was happening if you even if you didn't you know if the sound was off or something um i'm not sure if that's true that sounds true (laughs) it felt true i mean like i I, like i said i felt like okay i understand most of the beats of this movie I, i get the basics of what happened um but I'm obviously very glad I got back around to seeing it in English because the yeah, the satire too. in this movie is so strong, right? The This is so much about those little details and that 
uh, very bleak, um, cutting worldview that it kind of has. It, it's like it's a hopeful movie, but it's buried inside an extremely cynical movie. It's a great companion piece to the other Paul Verhoeven film, um, Starship Troopers, because I feel like they're both have a similar. Well, first of all, they have the wraparound news segments. Um, and they're both, you know, Starship Troopers takes it to an insane degree because it's like, you know, just a celebration of fascism. But, um, but you know, RoboCop, um, the critique is there, the social satire is there of this, you know, corporate controlled uh, 80s, you know, future dystopia. But it never really feels like it's um, crowbarring or, or, or cramming it down your throat. Like you could, you could, it's, you should be able to pick it up, but you don't have to. It's not like the movie is saying it's bad. It's just sort of saying like, this is how it is, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I personally think that any good dystopian uh, movie should feel like that. Like it's just a part of the story. You can, you can take what you want from it kind of thing. And I think this, this movie does a really good job of, of as, as you said, not pushing it. Um, uh, Rich, Rich, uh, Rich, and I watched it, you know, last night to to, to get ready. Um, and uh, I have a Blu-ray, so we we did some of the, just a little bit of the special features just for fun. And uh, we watched uh, some interviews with the actors who played the villains. And so uh, Ronnie Cox, who plays um, Dick Jones, you know, the the, the corporate bad guy uh, in the movie, you know, and, and he was talking. And I, I like what he was saying because he was saying, um, "I didn't play that character uh, like he was a villain." You know, I just I just kind of got in his head and, you know, kind of bought it. I decided to just buy into like uh, his way of seeing the world. Like, obviously, ED-209 is the superior uh, project, you know, and all that stuff. And I think that that, that kind of goes with what we're saying here. It's like they're, they're, they're not they're not acting like, ah, you know what I mean? Uh, entirely. There, there's times where there's some there's some mustache twirling, but there's other times where I'm just like, no, he's just this is what people do in the world of business. These villains are extremely effective from like the lower like henchmen, the guys like Paul McCrane, who plays Emil or Ray Wise, uh, who's in this like they're all very effective and scary. Um, Clarence Boddicker, who's played by Kirkwood Smith, who's like the the crime lord, the drug kingpin um, is, again, like absolutely vicious. But you believe him so that when he does that mustache twirly stuff, it's intimidating rather than comical. Oh, he's terrible. Yeah, Kerwood Smith in this is a great bad guy. I mean, first of all, he chews the scenery like crazy. And I don't think he wastes a moment. Um, and he's and 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 uh, yeah, he's just not traditionally someone that you would an actor that I would look at and go like, oh, that guy's threatening. No, he's I, I put him in the same box as something like uh, I uh, I keep bringing this up on the podcast, but Joe Pesci and Goodfellas, where he's you know, he's not physically intimidating from the looks of him. But the crazy factor is, you know, it, it instead of being funny, it is, you know, upsetting because you don't know when this guy is going to you know, really go off. And you see right from the jump, like he has no scruples. He has no code. He will literally do anything uh, if he feels like it. And that makes him really, really scary. I would put. Uh, all the bad guys uh, in Kurtwood Smith's gang in this movie in the same like Joker category of just like unhinged, loves violence, loves like enjoys it, laughs a lot, that kind of stuff. Like that's what made these guys really scary is that they were just organized enough to be like with it, but like just unhinged enough to just be scary as hell. 
I, you know, I think another, like, they don't make them like they used to kind of a thing about this movie <laughs> is that the villains are all very, like, distinct. Like, you know, I remember watching, like, Predator, and I was like, oh, man, you know, I know each and every single one of these grunts. Like, I know their deal. They all have little stories. I feel like in RoboCop, you know, there's not a lot of time to spend on these guys, but I know all, I can pick out all those guys and their personalities, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, they also cast people. They also cast people that have each have a very distinctive look, um, not just in their like literally their facial features, not just like their costuming and stuff that really helps them stand out. You might as well have color coded them because like you feel like, yeah, I recognize each of these guys. And that's necessary because, like you said, in terms of actual character building, we don't get a lot with them. There's a few that we spend a little more time with than others, like Emil. Um, but for the most part, yeah, we just have to recognize, oh, that's the guy who like giggles a lot. And that's, you know, just Ray Wise just has this face that's really distinctive. So I, I reckon this Sinatra-esque face. So I recognize him. Um, but then you mentioned like Dick Jones, who is also scary in his own way as, you know, because he's so corporate and ruthless. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. just a great roster of, of villains great. here. Well, it's just, it's just, you know, any, any good movie is, you're going to say, we will, well, any, you know, any great film, everything works. And I just think, yeah, this movie is just filled with great performances. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well then uh, let's get into them. Cause I think a lot of the other stuff about the movie will, will kind of come out as we work our way through it. So uh, we open up with, uh, you know, just this brief shot of Detroit where it takes place. Um, the title ends. Then we Dallas, go to this, Texas, <laughs> Dallas, Texas, where it is shot. Um, and then we get this uh, footage. There's just three minutes or so of like news footage to tell us about this dystopian world where like they're worried that like South Africa has the neutron bomb. The president is on this orbiting Star Wars, you know, space station. Um, we do get this commercial for the family heart center to kind of let us know that like artificial hearts, artificial organs, we're going to be uh, dealing with some significant artificial everything soon um, to let us know that like, you know, yes, prosthesis is now very easy, I guess, and available. Um, and then we get our, our lesson about the three dead cops who have been uh, slain by Clarence Boddicker. Three dead police officers, one critically injured. Police union leaders blame Omni Consumer Products, OCP, the firm which recently entered into a contract with the city to fund and run the Detroit Metropolitan Police Department. Dick Jones, Division President, OCP. Every policeman knows when he joins the force that there are certain inherent risks that come with the territory. Ask any cop, he'll tell you. If you can't stand the heat, you better stay out of the kitchen. Although seriously wounded, Officer Frank Fredrickson escaped and identified this man. Clarence Bodiker, unofficial crime boss of old Detroit, now sought in connection with the deaths of 31 police officers. Today he's at large, while doctors at Henry Ford Memorial Hospital fight to save the life of Officer Frank Fredrickson. Good luck, Frank. And we again learn about how OCP, this corporation, owns and privatizes the police department. And so this is layering in some of the, like, conspiracy stuff in the background of the movie. Yeah, uh, it does later, a really good yeah. job of uh, making it feel like this is the world. Everything is kind of screwed. You know, like we're selling fake hearts like they're used cars. You know, it's like this all just it does a great job of letting you know this is the world that you're in. So here's here's the environment. It's funny in a movie that in many other ways I wouldn't uh, accuse of subtlety. It actually is a kind of subtle uh, beginning. 
You know what I mean? In terms of the of the, it's everything's just a little off. You know? Yeah, and it's, it's not Starship know. Troopers level. See, Starship Troopers level, <laughs> that's that's cranking it up a bit more. But yeah. Sure. But it's still satirical, right? We're supposed to be laughing yeah. at these these news reports of like, okay, we're in a bit, little bit of a, a parody of our world. And that's important, I think, because that getting that flavor right up top kind of lets us know how to process all of the other stuff that's going to be coming right. down the pipeline of the movie. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that's done in broad strokes, and so you need to kind of go along with it. Um, uh, and like, you know, having a robot, you know, cop, and we're not going to worry about how that's possible. We're just, we're, it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, later on, going a little out of sequence, you know, there's a part where uh, uh, Dick Jones is talking about all the all the industries that they're involved, that OCP is involved in. And like, normally, you wouldn't think of privatizing. And I can't remember what he talking It's like hospitals, um is prisons. it prisons? Yeah, it's things that like <laughs> are totally now like privatized, which is just really funny to me. You know what I mean? It's like I, I, movies like that from from back then. Like, oh man, can you imagine if if corporations got involved in? The, and it's like most of them, it's the case. I don't think cops. Fortunately, we don't have private cop. Well, yeah, we don't have like the police forces of cities privatized. But I mean, Not coming yet. soon, I guess. Yeah, I know. So somebody's proposing it. Yeah, I mean, this movie is very prescient and also again very gloom and doom about how this stuff would not turn out well uh, yeah. if we were to let corporations do all this stuff. Um, and so we, we go to the, uh, this precinct in Detroit, which is like in the, the worst part of what they call old Detroit in the movie. And we meet Alex Murphy as he transfers in. Hi, uh, Murphy transferring in from Metro South. Nice precinct. Yeah, pretty good. Work for a living down here, Murphy. Get your armor and suit up. Not now, you did get a cup of coffee. Oh, sorry. Hey, Stark, is there any word on Fredericton? They're still listening to Miss Critical. White must be going out of her mind. Murphy, huh? Yeah, that's me. Man, so Hi. I'll bring you to this little paradise. It's me, man. I think OCP's moving a lot of new guys up here. Omni consumer products. What a bunch of morons. They're gonna manage this department right into the ground. Where are you from? Metro South. Welcome to hell. Perfect. Yo, cut 10 guys loose over on the east side. You try to get back up when you're in a jam. <laughs> yeah, try to get a medevac after you've been jammed. Well, I'll tell you what we should do. We should strike. Fuck them. Uh, he's told to basically get your armor on, suit up. And one of the things they layer in a couple of things in here, details that we sort of need to be aware of. One, the police are threatening to strike because of basically they're up against uh, you know, a criminal wave that they are not being equipped to handle. Uh, they are also uh, we also hear that uh, Murphy was transferred in. Um, which we'll find out why that's important later. And we also hear about Fredrickson, this like cop who was just mentioned in the news uh, reel is, you know, he's fighting for his life because he was attacked by Clarence Boddicker. And then like you see his name plate on his locker, they take it off and tell you like, yeah, the funeral's tomorrow. So he didn't make it. Yeah. And you get the yeah. sense that this is um, a common practice, you know what I mean? They all kind of like they're, they're throwing his stuff into a box and everyone's like not really reacting to it. Cause this apparently it's happens Tuesday. down there. Yeah. Crime is bad in old Detroit. Yeah. And they're they're treated poorly. And uh, there's you hinted at Doug, but just like something on the rewatch that I did not pick up before was that 
he said, oh, they're bringing a lot of guys in from the suburbs to the city. Don't know why. And I was like, oh, I never caught that line before. It's so fast and it pays off later, but I didn't get yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can mention this out of order, but it's really sinister. What's going on is that basically, you know, forces within OCP, you know, at least Morton and his division who we'll meet in a little bit, they're pushing this RoboCop program. And of course, to do it, they need a corpse to Frankenstein and a RoboCop. And so the, all of these transfers are happening because they are putting basically prime RoboCop candidates into dangerous precincts, hoping that this will happen, that they'll have an opportunity to do this. And they need this uh, is, a cop yeah. with a slight frame <laughs> so that he can put on, put on the RoboCop suit. It doesn't look too you know, bulky. <laughs> yeah, Peter Weller is definitely like, he's got the frame of like a marathon runner. He is runner, skinny. Which I yeah, believe he was. Skinny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is. And he's fantastic in this. But like, yeah, that, that, stuff in the back like it's in the margins of the movie it doesn't like they don't like spotlight that that's what's happening but once you sort of watch the movie a few times and you and you pick up those details it's so bleak that like yeah they're they're just putting these you know they've always they've somehow identified ideal robocop candidates and are now putting them in harm's way yes yeah which is like that's the movie's already pretty sinister but like when i caught that i was like wow that's even so even RoboCop's like making was, you know, engineered for profit. Well, this movie is so much about like dehumanization literally and figuratively and like commoditization, right? Like RoboCop they talk about is their property. Yeah. Right. And he and, and here where we get these like cops being like churned, you know, like, oh, this, another one died. Like the 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 fact that like human life is so expendable here. Yeah. Like it's, it is again, like this is a very bleak satire. Yeah. Uh, so we meet Lewis, uh, his, his partner for the next couple of hours. Um, Nancy Allen. <laughs> Nancy Allen, who is great in this. I, I remember hearing. Yeah. They stories, form, a, they form yeah. quite a bond for like being, <laughs> having one day on the job together. Yeah. There were versions of the script apparently where they were going to be having an affair of some kind. They would have known each other longer. Uh, and I'm glad that was excised. Out. Yeah, uh, that's that doesn't too much. help anything. It's I mean, you, the movie, you know, we're so trained watching movies going like, oh, well, they're going to have to have some kind of a romantic thing because he's a male and he's a lead and she's a female and she's a lead. And therefore, kissing has to happen. And like, sure. no, she's just she's just a solid like ally. You know, yeah. it's interesting about RoboCop as a character. I've always liked you know, Terminator and RoboCop. And I mean, it's not quite the same thing. Superman, these sort of like invulnerable characters that know what their mission is, but um, definitely with the Terminator and RoboCop, they're interesting because they're sexless. You know what I mean? They're like, I mean, he had, I mean, we'll get to it, but he's, you know, basically not much hum human parts left, you know? And uh, yeah, there's no, there's no, none of that left in him, you know, which is, which makes him kind of an interesting, um, He's an asexual icon, is what I'm trying to say. Right, of course. Um, and and definitely on the spectrum too. <laughs> at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, he's definitely not the best at human interaction. That's true. <laughs> not 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 very emotionally perceptive. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I really like. We don't get a whole lot of pre RoboCop Alex Murphy, but what we get, I think, is really uh, like efficient. Uh, you know, just getting his kind of like. You know, he's got a good attitude, you know, kind of a twinkle in his eye. 
Um, but he seems uh, like, idealistic, yeah. I guess, you know, that's, you get a little bit of that and yeah. like competent, like you get the impression that like, Oh, this guy was like the best of the best at his former precinct. And that's why they're sending him here. Right. That's probably mm. why he qualified in the background as a potential. Also, he's candidate. just got those, those, those perfect lips, you know, yeah. and <laughs> we have that. We have to say, if we can get scrap the rest of his body, but keep them kissing, keep lips. them, keep those lips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she's going to drive, but he says, no, I usually drive when I'm breaking in a new partner. Uh, and now we cut over to OCP to start meeting these people. And there's a whole bunch of shit that happens here, but basically, um, we meet Dick Jones. He's a VP, a very high, like the second man, uh, guy at the company underneath the CEO who is only known as the old man. Um, and he's really excited about, uh, the ED 209, droid uh police droid that we're about to meet but uh we hear that it is having problems so there's some sort of a backup plan they haven't said what the backup plan is we'll find out in a little bit it's robocop and they're working on this uh scheme to build what has been dubbed delta city which is this beautiful shining revitalized detroit that first in theory they need something like ed209 or robocop to clear out all of the crime so they can build this new utopian part of the city and so he introduces the ed209 to the board which is this gigantic sort of uh dr robotnik uh sonic the hedgehog looking robot um on two legs uh it's basically two legs like some sort of a uh like a uh, a center unit and all, and two giant Gatling guns. And uh, it's there for quote, urban pacification. They decide <laughs> to simulate an arrest and disarming procedure. Uh, they, they have an executive come up and demonstrate by pointing a gun at ED 209. It demands that he drop the gun. Uh, he drops the gun, but ED 209 does not detect that that happened or malfunctions and proceeds to summarily execute this poor guy. The enforcement droid, Series 209, is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. After a successful tour of duty in old Detroit, we can expect 209 to become the hot military product for the next decade. Dr. McNamara. We'll need an arrest subject. Mr. Kenny. Yes, sir. Would you come up and give us a hand, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kenny is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Kenny, use your gun in a threatening manner. Point it at Ed 209. Yes, sir. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. This is uh, Mr. Kenny. Mr. Kenny. They killed Kenny. So, yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> bastards. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack here. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you guys to, to talk about this one, but there's a lot in this scene. 
Well, I, what I find amusing about it uh, is that, first of all, it's it's only, you know, it's one of two moments in this film where a board meeting ends in a shooting. Um, but, you know, after this... The same like, room. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's great when they're all reacting to it and they're freaking out. But then afterwards, they're very collected, you know, when they're back in the elevator, <laughs> just like talking, yeah, shame about Kenny. You know, I mean, like, it's, <laughs> it's, they're pretty unfazed by it afterwards, which I find amusing. Again, the human life is cheap part. And, and it's an interesting um, counterpart to the scene that's coming up with Murphy's execution because this is equally as bloody and yet played for laughs, whereas yeah. the one with Murphy is absolutely harrowing. And it's yeah. it's amazing that the movie can sort of, you know, change tone that way and it still works. Because, yeah, this is like, we don't get to know Kenny the way we get to know Murphy, but, like, you know, this is when we talk about this being violent, like this is brutal. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pure everywhere. Uh, excess. I mean, that that guy stays on his feet as long as he does <laughs> getting shot, you know, what, 50 times? I mean, by high caliber uh, ammunition. Yeah. And just the smoke billowing out of the guns half in the background when it's done. It's yeah. just so like, uh, like death. It's a death machine. Uh, I love this scene for a lot of reasons, but it does really efficient job of like, we get introduced to Bob, who's going to be very important. We get introduced to Ed 209, to Dick Jones, the old man, the corporate ruthlessness, and particularly the thing that is, you know, very common in like cyberpunk and any kind of dystopia is, okay, we're going to build a brand new city. It's going to be, you know, the best thing. And all we have to do is just clear out these awful people first. Yeah, that's a very noir kind of thing i mean because it, it happened in america it's yeah. happened many times where neighborhoods had to be cleared neighborhoods of quote-unquote undesirables um yeah. by which we mean of course minorities um had to be cleared out for these infrastructure projects and like we did an episode on who framed roger rabbit and it's basically the same concept like we got to clear out these tunes to make way for a freeway well and you know so, uh it's yeah. yeah it's it's interesting that you know robocop still works in a you know, in 2024, when obviously people have, there's been a lot of discussion about policing, modern policing, and, you know, the problems therein. But RoboCop, you know, if you would think, if you didn't know better, that it's just going to be some glorification of uh, police work or whatever. But it's really not. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, biting and critical uh, of, of that kind of stuff. And, you know, ultimately, RoboCop is, you know he's 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 sort of pushing against that right ultimately he's 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 an actual good police officer uh admittedly very violent and doesn't really you know doesn't really read you your rights uh, all the time but um but you know what i mean i think that that the that the fact that this movie uh still works now um and in some ways is maybe even more relevant um that might be a big statement but there's not a lot of like race in the film, but still, I would argue that the the critique of just you know for profit and 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 certainly the kind of redlining stuff that you guys are talking about with the neighborhood um, makes it relevant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie tends to lionize the police a little bit more. I mean, again, we're not dealing with like p corruption within the police force itself. Like the cops we meet all seem they, they they have to be put upon here. They have to be trying to do their best against impossible odds. Well, but there is there, I, there's that know. higher echelon of cops, though. I don't know what those guys are. The ones that are, like, taking the orders from OCP, remember that? They're, like, the SWAT or whatever. Those guys are there definitely are them, more... Yeah. They're more of the, the uh, jackbooted thugs. That's true, but I think, you know, maybe if, if this were to be revisited now, you know, 
you know, missed opportunity with that 2014 remake, but like the idea of like, oh, well, do we need like a RoboCop film that's satirical about shit like qualified immunity? You know, like, do we need to something like that? I think I'm sure they'd have to, to touch, they'd touch it. Well, there is, isn't there talk of doing another one? Maybe there's always talk of doing another something. IP just like RoboCop, IP cannot be allowed to die uh, peacefully. <laughs> uh, the only other thing, by the way, I wanted to say about that scene that's just amusing to me, and like you know, just tells you how cheap life is in this future. Is that they did that demonstration with live ammunition. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it would, right. it no would have like, been probably wise to maybe not have ED two hundred nine uh, fully locked and loaded, <laughs> or you know, have an off switch. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, they're tearing out. They're trying to tear out all the wires and stuff on the on the panel, you know. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of like, and we'll sort of find out later. They're aware that ED two hundred nine is faulty <laughs> and unreliable, and they don't care. They're just going to sell it to the military, and if it who fucks cares up, if it worked? <laughs> exactly, that's the line, right? Who cares if it worked? Which is like chilling. They're like, yeah, they would put this thing out on the streets for urban pacification, which again, another thing about like euphemisms in this movie, there's a lot of that, like very, you know, uh, uh, selective language to like, again, drain humanity out of the process. Well, the militarization uh, of the police, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump would be very happy to do that. And, uh, so that's, that's pretty current. Yeah. Uh, you call this a glitch. Um, so <laughs> this is where Morton swoops in to propose his RoboCop initiative that's the the backup plan to ed209 since it's not working and this is very talented and uh sadly no longer with us miguel ferrer yeah who's great in this um and he mentions uh that they've placed prime candidates according to risk factor you know which you know again picking up on like oh they're putting cops in harm's way for this and they get in that elevator and again he says well eventually some poor schmuck is going to volunteer quote again like euphemistic language they're going to volunteer (laughs) <laughs> for the RoboCop program. Uh, so we now we come back to Murphy, who's twirling his gun. And this is kind of the most we get about him and his personal life before the tragedy. Pretty fancy moves, Murphy. Uh, yeah, well, my son Jimmy watches this cop show, DJ Laser, and this laser guy does this every time he takes down a bad guy. So naturally, my, my kid thinks every good cop should be... And you don't want to disappoint? Yeah, well... Role models can be very important to a boy. Okay, okay, I got a kick out of it. Um, because we hear he, he's twirling this gun around in this sort of like Western style because his son watches the show called TJ Laser and the, the hero on that show does that. And he wants to be a good role model for his kid. Uh, and before that, that goes on for briefly before they get the call that like, Suspects are armed and dangerous, and they got to go take care of some bad guys. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I have yeah, correctly again, summarized it. The the, the uh, just a, a shout out to the uh, ability for them to do it so quickly get you a, get you really invested in this guy Alex Murphy in a very you know short short amount of time. I uh, props to the prop department for coming up with just some slightly futuristic coffee cups. Yeah. <laughs> They're I mean, like, they they're don't like, tell they're you. They're like square or something. They're, they're, they're weird. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't tell you when this takes place. We're, you know, they don't say it's like, you know, in a particular year or how far it is into the future. It's, you know, near future, but indeterminate. And I think that works to the movie's benefit. Oh, I, one of the things I love about the, uh, 
uh, aesthetics of this film is that it's the near future and it doesn't look any different from now, except for yeah. like a couple of extra things, you know, specifically a RoboCop, you know, that'll that's a tip off. And then, you know, E-209. But other than that, I'm hard pressed to see too much in this movie that, you know, I mean, we're also spending time in a in an economically depressed part of town, but it's kind of cool. I also I think they had plans to do futuristic looking cars, but then you know like budget like didn't let them do that, which I love. I love that they're just driving regular cop cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything looks very like eighties Detroit. You know, I mean, yes, I know it's yeah. Dallas doubling for for Detroit, but like, yeah, the the cars, everything is so grimy. Um, and like, yeah, not shiny futuristic at all. The shiniest futuristic thing in it is RoboCop, uh, yeah. and maybe like the model of Delta City, and that kind of lets you know, like, yeah, th- things are not like amazing in in whatever, however far this is in the future. Uh, but now we're introduced to the gang. talk about your like kill the cat moment of like so kurt they've just robbed some a bank or something uh they're getting away kurtwood smith is berating his people because some of the money got burned in the process uh and i love that like the the henchman's leg gets injured and so their solution is to throw him at the the car containing murphy and lewis that's pursuing them can you fly bobby yeah the amount yeah, of I laughter they, they like are bobby. like a pa- <laughs> what was that? I said I feel like they didn't like Bobby. Like, like no one's like concerned about this. No one's like, no, don't. They're just like, yep. No, I mean they play them like a, a pack of psychotic hyenas. I mean they are just like <laughs> having a good time and laughing and like they're they're kind of like gremlins, honestly. Like just like just as much destruction and like yeah. make it as brazen and crazy as possible. They're definitely one of the more cartoonish aspects of the movie. Like they they just want mayhem. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, especially when we see, like, again, we'll get to that scene later at the gas station with Paul McCrane just uh, caught wreaking havoc for the fun of it. But that for the fun of it thing is definitely in play here and in rest. Like, they, they definitely relish the violence. They, you know, they enjoy how depraved what they're doing is. And as we know from, like, the the stuff we've had already, like, they've killed dozens and dozens of cops already. Like they're just, you know, they get away with everything. And of course we'll find out later. They're kind of protected from on high, uh, that gives them more license to be depraved. But like just at this initial meeting here with all of them, like they, again, you call them these cackling hyenas. They're still scary despite the comical aspects of them. Yeah, absolutely. So sell her a pack of hyenas. (laughs) I guess so. Um, all right, so they, they head into this steel mill, and Lewis and Murphy split up. Uh, Lewis uh, comes across, uh, you know, uh, one of these henchmen taking a leap and uh, chewing bubblegum, and uh, he his dick is out, I guess, so he has to zip up his pants, and instead of doing that, he distracts Lewis long enough to uh, take her out. Or not yeah. kill her, but, uh, you know, knock her out. Yeah. Uh, this is maybe the one weak point of the movie for me is that, you know, they asking for backup backups, not there yet. And it's like, there didn't seem to be any pressure on them. They didn't (laughs) say like pursue at all costs. It was their decision. These two supposed great cops to go, let's go in here. Just the two of us. And you know what? Let's split up while we're at it. Yeah. They've got home court advantage and they outnumber us, but let's go in. Yeah. I wonder, you know, they don't they don't quite explain why Lewis is so attached to Murphy, um, be, you know, because, again, they, they've only known each other for, God, 45 minutes. Um, but maybe, you know, she feels responsible for what happens to him. You know, there's the trauma of what she's about to go through with him. Oh, I mean, I you're so attached. Yeah. I mean, you just you just mean like she feels bad when he gets blown away. I don't have a hard time believing that. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, like she, you know, she's the one person in the movie who really, you know, cares about him. Um, but there's no, even like the police chief that doesn't care. I don't think he even recognizes who it is. He doesn't, you know, yeah, yeah they don't you know, publicize she, that it's Murphy. He's just Robocop. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's incapacitated. I'm not sure why they don't just murder her on the spot. You know, that that's also, I, I always found. Well, hard. because then uh, we wouldn't have her later in the film. <laughs> that's, that's one she's reason. Plot immunity. Sure. I'm not sure the henchmen are aware of that, but yes. Um, and so uh, we go to Murphy, uh, who's kind of sneaking up. I love there's a line here as he's watching them, like unloading this pile of money, whatever they're doing. He says, like, something about no better way to steal money than free enterprise. Like, again, yeah. just like harsh criticism of capitalism, but not unearned. Also, Murphy's- the guy, first guy to die, uh, his line is uh, when he's offered a cigarette. Now nah, those things will kill you. So that's good. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, so Murphy sneaks up on Emil. He says, dead or alive, you're coming with me, which will be important later. Um, he radios for Lewis while he's trying to cuff Emil, uh, but then they get the drop on him, um, and we get the, might as well be the crucifixion of, of Alex Murphy here uh, yeah. in a scene that will like live behind your eyelids for a while. <laughs> Why, you got to be some kind of great cop. Come in here all by yourself. Where's your partner? Where's your partner? Well, guys, the other one was upstairs. She was sweet. 
I took her out. <laughs> I bet that really pisses you off. You probably don't think I'm a very nice guy, do you? Buddy, I think you're slime. <laughs> See, I got this problem. Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. <laughs> So this is uh, slightly different in the director's cut. It's just, did you watch the director's cut, Doug, or did you watch the? No, I watched the the theatrical cut. It's very, it's not really significantly different. In fact, the director's cut, I think, just has a couple of extra uh, shots, really. But this is one of the ones that's different. It's just a little more violent. <laughs> There's just, like, he's, like, beholding his stump of a hand, you know, as it, like, blood, like, geysers out of it. Like, that's a shot that I think was only in the director's cut. Yeah, I mean, you you watch him. That's the first thing that happens is he blows his hand off with a, a shotgun before just emptying, you know, just a hail of bullets into Murphy. And you're there with him, like, as he just goes through this incredible agony. And you have to sell this. Like, unlike the scene in the boardroom, like, this is, like, it's so upsetting. Um, and just even still, I find this really hard to watch. Now there's a, you know, Paul Verhoeven weirdo that he is. I do think there is some Christ imagery in this movie. As you said, you know, there's sort of this like uh, passion of the RoboCop, you know, moment there where he's being, you know, tortured. And I think, you know, I don't know if his hands are really quite out and across, but it is a little bit like that. And I do believe later in the film, the steel mill, it, RoboCop does appear to be walking on water at some point. Like when he's out, I, I can't, I, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Like there's just kind of like a shot that sort of kind of looks like that. So there is, there's some, there's a little bit of fun with that. Huh. Well, speaking of fun, like Kurtwood Smith is, you know, really hamming up the, like the glee that they're having. Cops don't yeah. like me. So I <laughs> don't like cops. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's brutal, it's ugly, and it ends with a slug right to uh, Murphy's forehead. So here's a fun little watch. fact, The uh, again, from our, our extra features watch. Uh, the look of, of Boddicker with the glasses and everything, uh, Paul Verhoeven... You know, as a, a growing up as a kid, I think in uh, Holland, you know, during World War II, you know, his vision of, of you know evil was like Heinrich Himmler. So he's got like a little bit of a Himmler, which, you know, he's a nerdy looking guy. So he kind of thought that that would be a fun sort of thing to do for Boddicker is make him not look like a big bruiser, you know what I mean? But look more like a like a like a brainier kind of villain. 
Yeah, no, he looks like a librarian. I mean, he, you know, he he does not look like he would be physically intimidating. It's just his sadism. He's got yeah. such swagger, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yep. And he's got great lines, as you've already said. You know, can you fly, Bobby? And uh, cops don't like me. And you know, he's got a few more as, as the movie goes on. But he, they really like. I don't know if the lines were good on paper or if he made them good, but they're good. I mean, I just you watch him in that movie, and he has thought about every moment that he yeah. does. You know, everything is is used. Like later on when he dips his fingers in the guy's glass of wine and then like sniffs them. It's it's weird. <laughs> he just does weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely like there's in addition to all of like the like uh, cruelty he visits on people and the mean things he says. There's also this like layer of like social awkwardness. Like he he does things that like you said, like sticking his fingers in the wine and sniffing it. Like, <laughs> Human beings don't do that. You know, like weird. Yeah, you got wine up your nose. <laughs> ow, ow, <laughs> uh, so now we get to the birth of RoboCop. He's on. What's the story? We were able to save the left arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? Jesus, Morton. Can you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. We're going to blank his memory anyway. Well, I think we should lose the arm. What, what do you think, Johnson? Well, he signed the release forms and he joined the force. He's legally dead. We can do pretty much what we want to. Lose the arm. Shut him down. Prep him for surgery. The entire outer skin will be like this. It's titanium, laminated with Kevlar. Go ahead. Shake his hand. Come here, Arthur. Where are you going? Oh! God. It's got a hell of a grip. It's 400 foot-pounds. He could crush every bone in your hand. All right, attach it to his shoulder. technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you RoboCop. Come on, come on, come on, come on. That's for you. That's for you. Go, Robo. I love, like, how artfully this is, where everything is, you get this this moment of like, you know, he's in surgery and it's mostly just him, you know, just vacant stare as they're operating on him. Uh, and you know, he, he dies on the table. Uh, and then everything is in first person POV for a while. Yeah. I love this. This is so clever and interesting. And like, you're just waiting for like, Oh God, what's happening to him? What are they doing? Um, I, I really just love the way this is put together. Yeah, and the way it's shot, it's like you can almost feel like the electric shocks on the 
hospital table and then all the things are doing to him is Robocop, different things. It's like because of the way it looks, you know, and I don't know how much first person shooting had really been done in movies before this that I remember, but uh, it was very powerful and well done here. They're saving the, I mean, it's hard to go to this movie and not know what RoboCop looks like. But if you didn't, uh, they are saving the reveal of RoboCop uh, in a cool way. I think, you know, when he's, when he's ready, you know, because it's time jumping. So you're, you're seeing it from, he's like powering up and powering down and we're going through time and they're kind of sh like New Year's and they're having a New Year's party, which is fun. You know, it's just a fun way to kind of show you like what's happening. Um, and then, you know, when he's, when he, when he's, finished and i don't know how long it takes you know presumably at least a little while uh you know he he's he's leaving and and you can see there's a tv monitor in the corner um and you can see just a, you get a little glimpse of him walking by before you like see the reveal so that's it's it's definitely like saving this as like a a cool moment i love that that's a nice touch but also like there also there's the body horror of what's happening to him um, yeah. because we don't get to see it we only the only thing we know about it is there's that mention by Morton where he's like, oh, we can save his arm. And he basically says like, no, fuck it. You're cutting off his lose arm. the arm, oh, lose, lose the, the arm. arm again. Like, yeah, how yeah, asked the guys, like what do you think? Like, they say like, ask the guys, like <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's legally dead. Different. We can do whatever we want to him. Yeah. He signed the forms, right? Like the, the again, like the, like the bureaucracy stuff coming through here of like, yep, he signed whatever forms there are. So there's some waivers. So he's sold yeah, his it's body. Key, to it's key to remember that he is a reanimated corpse. I mean, that's that's you know the way he's seen legally. Yeah, yeah. They didn't save Alex Murphy's life with prostheses. They no, he like died. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They don't view him as Alex Murphy anymore. He's just a corpse that they were able to reanimate. They he talks about you know, oh wipe his memory. You know we don't. So he's an amnesiac. He doesn't remember his former life, and. Yeah, but all of those little details in there about like yeah, the forms losing, you know, amputating his arm just to have even less of him still there, um, just so brutal without, especially without you being able to see it because it is all from yeah. His presumably, TV. he's just a head, I think, <laughs> on a robot body. They yeah, they never they never explicitly state how much of Alex Murphy's original body is left, other than his brain. Um, yeah. And I guess his face is stretched over what might even be a metal. You may not even have an actual skull. It's just like his face and eyes, um, yes. which is creepy. They say he has some kind of a, quote, digestive system, but that could be mechanized as well. Oh, we yeah. Know. Yeah. They said to sustain his bodily functions. There's a, yeah, there's a rudimentary paste that he eats. Yeah. The baby yeah. food. Right. I love that that guy, by the way, and I forget the name of the character, but that he likes it. He he eats it no less than three times. <laughs> he keeps going back for more of the pace, yeah. which is really funny. And they linger on it. Like Paul Verhoeven clearly knows, like, this is funny. I no, believe that was Johnson. Johnson, thank you. Don't touch him. Don't touch him! <laughs> I, mean, I believe, Johnson is this lines. where we were also introduced? <laughs> is this where we're introduced to the his uh, directives? Yes. Yes, and we get that little tease that there's a fourth directive. So... Yeah. Serve the public trust, protect the innocent, uphold the law. Yeah. Kind of an echo of, say, uh, the Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics. Kind yeah. of a nod to that. But again, as of course, yeah, as you mentioned, there is a fourth directive that is classified, which is, you know, obviously we want to keep it secret from the audience. But it's interesting that there are like parts of RoboCop's own knowledge that he cannot mm -hmm. himself access you know, voluntarily. 
Yeah. Uh, but yes, the the advantage, of course, over ED two hundred nine is that RoboCop in theory has, as Morton says, a lifetime of on the on the job law enforcement experience, which is somehow they've wiped his memory. But I guess somehow that's still you know he has the decision making capabilities that ED two hundred nine does not. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's Morton introduces him. We get him that like you know first person march out of the lab, and uh, we're off. Um, he's gonna be a bad motherfucker. Uh, so we're at the precinct and they start rolling in all of this equipment. Uh, and we don't know what that's for until of course, uh, RoboCop enters and surprises the shit out of everybody. Yeah. And then, uh, then we, I think this is where we get the, the directives. We also get the stick, the stuff about his targeting system in here that he, some of his like quote unquote superpowers, like he can record things and play them back. Um, some of the stuff he can do as a, as a law enforcement officer, uh, and then uh, we go to target practice and this is where Lewis first gets a good look at him and starts to wonder, Hey, who is this guy? Check out that fucking gun. Well, she, he does the twirl that you know, immediately alerts her. And I, for some reason in my memory, she spends a lot more of the movie trying to figure out, is it Murphy? But no, she figures it out immediately. Like, yes, that's, yeah. that's, that is Murphy. Yeah. Then we see her. This in guy's the really good. Yeah. <laughs> we see her in the hallway. Yeah. You know, like, like talking to him and he's like confused. So, you know, uh, this uh, leads to, I think, my favorite section in the movie is just him going on patrol. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is, you know, uh, Superman taking his first flight, right? It's right. The same, right. It's just going to be movie. a series of vignettes of like Robocop doing what Robocop do. Um, and it's great. Yeah. There's a bunch of cool ones in here. Uh, we were introduced to the I'll buy that for a dollar guy. Yeah. <laughs> Would there be anything else, sir? Yeah, I emptied the register and put the money in the bag. Excuse me? So give me your money and all of it and don't fuck with me! Now move! Open the safe, Pops. Open the goddamn safe! We don't have a safe. Shit! There's your goddamn safe! Son of a bitch! No, I'm two, three, and you better open that son of a bitch. Come on, come on! I'm gonna blow her brains out. I'll open this. Good boy. Come on. Well, you better open that a gun of three. One, two. Drop the gun. You are under arrest. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. Uh, do you know, this is a quiz, uh, Rich knows it. Uh, do you know the name of that show? Oh, the in-universe show? Yeah. Oh, shoot. I didn't pick up on it this time. No, what is it? Uh, I don't know if it's actually even in the movie. It might have just because we watched some deleted scenes, too. I, it's called That's Not My Problem or It's Not My Problem or something like 
I just, it's another little bit of satire too, that like the entertainment is so, it's a little bit like idiocracy, you know, the entertainment in the, in the future is so base and people instantaneously start laughing. Like they turn it on and like the, without any context, they're just laughing their asses off three seconds in, you know, at Benny Hill, basically. (laughs) Yeah. It's this base thing. It's just this like guy, this bald guy with spectacles and a mustache, just like hanging around these bimbos. And like, it's not even clear what the show is. It just seems to be that catchphrase. Well, I'll buy that for a dollar. And yeah, it's just it's, boobs, yeah. and I buy that for a dollar, guy. That's it. That's it. It's a lot like uh, the Lego Movie too. That where are my pants? Like, it's the same <laughs> idea of like this, this sitcom or, has nothing uh, to it. Ouch my dick or whatever it is. <laughs> Ouch my balls. Right? Ouch my balls. That's what it is. Yeah, and Ouch both of those balls. owe a debt to this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah RoboStop, he, he stops a convenience store robbery. Um, you know, he, he saves this woman from being uh, raped. You know, just, you know, thank you for your cooperation. Like, he's very matter of fact. And as you said, Dan, he doesn't, like, read the guy in the convenience store his rights. He doesn't even, like, take him into custody. He just, like, throws him into a freezer, and I guess he assumes people will come in and clean up his mess later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. He doesn't really issue any arrests as far as I can tell. I think he just sort of expects somebody to run up behind him and do that part. Um, yeah, the uh, the sexual assault scene is is one of the more memorable ones in the movie. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the part where RoboCop shoots that guy in the dick. Um, Between but, the know, legs of the victim. Right, right. And uh, it's... It's a it's a it's an important moment too when she comes up to him, you know, to thank him, and you can see like how stripped he is of his humanity, right? Madam, you have suffered an emotional shock. I will contact a rape crisis center. You know, he's <laughs> just like, there's yeah, very little human humanity there at this point in the film. Yeah, yeah, he is just a machine. What stops crimes? Um, but he is very good at it. Um, but there's like, there's there's some like automation humor too in that you know what i mean it's like it's just like when machines try to well now with ai it's getting pretty good but you know what i mean when machines try to like sound like people like you know hi i can see you're looking for something what can i do for you today those little chat windows and stuff that like pop up on a website you know what i mean it's, yeah. it's a, you know robocop trying to sound personable to a a, a regular civilian yeah, and I like that Peter Weller, you know, had the instinct of like he is robotic in his voice, but not completely. Right. I think originally there was some idea of like, no, he is going to sound exactly like this. And like he doesn't. Like there's enough humanity there. Cause otherwise you would totally disconnect from him. Uh yeah. And, not, and then the, yeah. some of the better moments later on too, I guess as he's you know, humanity is sort of kind of rising to the surface, is when yeah. he's um when you see emotion, when he actually has emotion come up. Yeah. Uh, and we get one more vignette here, which is this hostage crisis that a, I guess it's some sort of city councilman you know, lost an election. Yeah. And uh, rather than vacate the position, he's chosen violence at the, the seat of government, which uh, has no relation to today. Um, but he, like, th- this is kind of an amazing thing because there's a lot of satire built in here when he's like, nego- basically RoboCop tells the other like SWAT officer there, you know, just keep him talking while I go in there and, and do what I got to do. Okay, Miller, don't hurt the mayor. I'll give you whatever you want. First, don't fuck with me. I'm a desperate man. And second, I want some fresh coffee. And third, I want a recount. And no matter how it turns out, I want my old job back. Okay. And I want a bigger office. 
I want a new car! And I want the city to pay for it all! What kind of car, Miller? Something with reclining leather seats that goes really fast and gets really shitty gas mileage! How about the, uh, 6,000 SUX? Yeah! Okay, sure! What about cruise control? Does it come with cruise control? Hey, no problem, Miller. Let the mayor go. We'll even throw in a blob pump. And the phone conversation between the the officer and the uh, the maniac is so funny that he starts making all these ridiculous demands. He demands you know, the car, and I want a car with shitty gas mileage, and you know, like <laughs> all of that stuff. Um, th- this is very much like uh, Grand Theft Auto's style of yeah. you know, satire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where it's like Grand Theft Auto, and it shouldn't work, but Grand Theft Auto comedy is very funny to me. It's in a world where people are have no irony, right? You know what I mean? Or, or you know, it's like it's just so straightforward. It's just like I mean, there'll be ads I think in Grand Theft Auto for like you know, legalize cocaine. You know, vote for proposition. You know, whatever or something <laughs> like that. Like it's just it's just extreme. People are just saying it out. They're saying the quiet parts out loud. You know. Yeah. Well, and the guy at one point says uh, in the list of demands, he goes, I demand a recall election and no matter the results, I demand my job back. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I, well, I, and I wonder, do you remember, do you guys remember the, um, I think it's a thing from the 80s, the Twinkie defense? Mm-mm. So this was a guy who. Oh, this yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, I don't remember. He like shot a place up or did something. And then his defense was that he was hopped up on sugar. Um, and so they called it like the Twinkie defense. And I, and you know, this guy is eating a candy bar and I wasn't sure if that was maybe like a kind of a little bit of a joke about that, you know? That's funny. That's mm. certainly possible. Um, uh, so there's one thing in here that, so Robocop uses this thermal vision to see where the guy is to just punch through the wall and then take him out. I don't think that thermal vision ever comes up again in the movie, which is odd that they like introduce a superpower that does not factor into the climax in any way. This scene, you know, uh, nothing in these scenes is plot is necessary for the plot, um, which is sort of interesting. There's just kind of fun showing you, you know, Robocop kicking ass and you're just enjoying it. But you don't I don't think we learn anything in these scenes that we need later. No, the only thing that's in there is that I believe that SWAT officer who's there for this siege is one of the guys who's later on. Yeah, but that's not against him not really important um yeah i i I mean it would be weird to have this movie and not have those scenes because obviously you want to see him doing his job but it is interesting there's nothing in there that's story important i think that you have to see him operating without his humanity for a while so that when it does start to show up there's a contrast um, yeah. So you do need that. Yeah, you need some of it. You're right. But nothing within these vignettes really comes back. I mean, they later. are isolated vignettes, too. Like this sequence. So it's a sequence of three scenes. Right. And like there's not like a an arc to the scenes. You know, each one is self-contained. Right. Yeah. You could theoretically do this. You know, you could do 10 of them if you wanted. You know, it wouldn't change. Sure. Yep. Uh, so we go back to news footage again. This will be kind of like a not a framing device, but it comes back again you know, a couple of times. Uh, so we see that kids get to meet RoboCop at school, like echoes, you know, he you know, tells kids, stay out of trouble. Is that the one where he like turns and the kids kind of recoil? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great little shot. Yeah. Very like Nancy Reagan, you know, say no to drugs kind of stuff. Uh, you know, now he's a, a public figure and he's, you know, going to schools and, you know, um, uh, we get this commercial for this nuclear war board game. Yeah. Uh, again, just <laughs> nuke, bleak sh- bl- nuke just bleak shit. 
Uh, but we do hear that labor leaders have now sanctioned the construction of Delta City. Uh, and Bob Morton projects the end of crime in 40 days <laughs> due to RoboCop, which is impressive. Uh, and uh, he has been promoted. And we follow Morton to this executive, quote unquote, lounge, which is just the nice bathroom. Uh, and he makes I the- actually had that. Mm-hmm. I had that thought. I was watching this. I was like, did we cut? From the executive lounge to the executive bathroom, or is the executive bathroom referred to as the executive lounge? I, I, you know what I mean? I wasn't sure if it certainly seems that way. Like they just walk in and they're in the bathroom. And I was like, is there a lounge? But then now we're in the bathroom. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know why I would need like a lounge outside of it. Like now that I've gone to the bathroom, I really need a place to sit down for a while and put up. Yeah, I don't know. Well, there's a teacher's lounge. I don't know, but yeah, I yeah. think I think the executive lounge is just a very nice bathroom. Yeah. Uh, but he makes the mistake of bad mouthing Dick Jones, who happens to be in one of the stalls behind him. Uh, he hears this and then uh, goes and uh, basically uh, Dick Jones kind of you know big times him. Congratulations, Bob. Thanks. I remember when I was a young executive for this company. I used to call the old man funny names: Iron Butt, Boner. Once I even called him asshole. But there was always respect. I always knew where the line was drawn. And you just stepped over it, buddy boy. You've insulted me. And you've insulted this company with that bastard creation of yours. I had a guaranteed military sale with Ed 209. Renovation program. Spare parts for 25 years. Who cares if it worked or not? The old man thought it was pretty important. Dick. You know, he's a sweet old man. And he means well. He's not going to live forever. And I'm number two around here. Pretty simple math, huh, Bob? You just fucked with the wrong guy. Fucking mind. Easily yeah. the the strangest scene in the film. Um, a great <laughs> scene. Very strange. Sexually charged. <laughs> But also, uh, Dick Jones's line that the insults that he, you know, because he's like, when I was when I was coming up, you know, I used to call the old man funny names. Do you guys remember what they are? I remember it's one. Like, uh, one is Iron Butt. Yeah, <laughs> Iron <remember>. Butt. <laughs> that was one. Yeah, Rich, what's the one you remember? That was it. That was the one. Well, yeah, yeah, and then bon- Boner. Boner. <laughs> boner. Yeah. Once I even called him asshole, but there was always respect. There's just the craziest insults, iron butt and boner. Yeah. My, I remember seeing this on TV again at a later date, not in Russian, um, but it was a, like a you know, TV edit where they obviously had to tone down the language and the violence. And this scene, he goes like, once I even called him airhead. <laughs> like, oh, oh with no. With the like missing dub, it was like, it's all, I mean, like, oh, I, no. I, in my head, I'm like, oh, he must have called him fuckface or something. Like, no, it's just asshole. I, you know, feel like it's a choice. I feel like those weird insults are just like, they. what they do for me is they make Dick Jones seem older. 
You know what uncool. I mean? The, the, yeah. yeah, and uncool. Like, what? <laughs> that was your yeah. slang? Okay, thanks. Yeah, but he does make the very valid point, which is like, you're fucking with the guy who will be running this company when the old man kicks off. I'm number two. Like, so you Bob Morton yeah. is not a great strategist. He's definitely not like big picture. He saw an opening and he went for it. And I think we clarified, yeah, basically what happened, you know, Robocop was the, was the backup plan and that was his, it was his department that was doing it. And so he, you know, pushed it in when ED 209 shot the bed. And, um, but yeah, as you, as you pointed out, Dick Jones is literally going to run the company someday. And, and then, you know, but, but I guess he can't even wait, can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's going to handle Bob earlier than that. But yeah. So, uh, oh, and then I just, just to remind that part where like, so, and, and we were watching again, the, 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 them talking about it. And, uh, there's like this seduction. He like puts his fingers in his hair and then pulls it. It's, it's very, it's interesting. I mean, and apparently they had come up with that and then showed it to Paul Verhoeven. They were like, Hey, we, we worked out what we want to do here. I always thought it was I mean, real genius the moment where the guy, you know, is clearly so scared of Dick Jones that he just zips up before he's done peeing and just pees his pants for the rest of it just to, to get out of there. And it was like, I still look at that like, oh, wow, that is kind of a gross and very telling way of how scary this guy is. So, you know, when you think about um, good filmmaking, good visual storytelling, and, you know, and I'm a video editor and like, you know, everything is essentially you're saying, like, if you were telling that story, right, you'd be like, you know, and Dick Jones comes out and everyone's freaking out and this guy runs out and he's got a piss stain on his pants. You know, everything is is basically giving you that information. So every shot, everything is basically there's a reason for it, you know, yeah. so showing that piss stain is good for a laugh and it's also... Yeah, it tells you, you know, how scary this guy should be. Yeah, and as we'll find out later, he has friends in low places. So yeah. it's not clear it's not clear how much the other people who work at OCP know about those connections. It's it's not immediately clear. Uh but maybe Bob Morton would know um because he seems pretty high up. Um uh, but we cut back to uh the precinct where RoboCop is sitting in this chair. Uh, where he is basically a big charging station, which is where he's supposed to sit, where he's not out on duty. Um, and they're just sort of monitoring him. He's, you know, he's like his brainwaves are nil, but then he has a dream uh, of his execution. And, you know, he is like seizing while this is happening. We see the like uh, the readout of the brainwave that's like getting more and more frantic. And then it stops at the moment he takes the final bullet in the head that goes flat for a minute. And then he gets up and storms out and the scientists are basically freaking out. Uh, you know, this is not, I love how analog that is too, by the way, like the paper, (laughs) you know? So when they want to go back and see how RoboCop was doing, they've got this long bit of paper they have to go through and check out. Right. And you can see actually on the monitor, like, the visual, like what he's dreaming about, you can see images of like Bodiger pointing a gun at. Yeah, him. and it's again, it's just like subtle uh, humor that like the scientists aren't watching; they're just eating like their fast food, <laughs> just not even watching what's going on. Yeah, yeah, he's seizing and like you know squirming for a while. You would think they would notice that he was doing that behind them, but they don't. Yeah, yeah. what uh, I don't know if you caught it. What they're talking about is like the rebels in Acapulco that the news mentioned mm-hmm. earlier and they're like well now it's shut down i was gonna go there in two weeks ah you know murder murder <laughs> like <laughs> bitching about their vacations being ruined right it's the right. Uh, stormtroopers talking about the uh 
it was like, hey, have you checked out the new whatever? Yeah, I heard it's really something or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he storms off down the hallway. He bumps into Lewis, who you know basically says, hey, do you have a name? And he you know seems uh, you know not clear how to respond to that. And she finally just says like, Murphy, it's you, like to his face. Jerry, book him. I'll catch up with you later. Uh, hello. I haven't really had a chance to introduce myself. I'm Ann Lewis. Do you have a name? How can I help you, Officer Lewis? It's not really what I meant. Don't you have a name? Murphy. It's you. You really don't remember me, do you? Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. Stop! What did you talk to him about? What did you say? He just says, I got to go somewhere. There was a crime happening and he drives off. Uh, meanwhile, like, yeah, the, there's like a flurry of like, you know, the, the scientists, they're trying to call Morton. Um, you know, uh, they say, you know, he, he had a dream. Like you're going to report this because he just had a dream. Who gives a shit? You know, it's like, he's not designed to experience a dream. Um, and they want to know what Lewis said to him. And she says nothing. She says, I asked him what his name was. And Morton says he has no name. He's a program. He's a product. Uh, and they're not to investigate this anymore because it's classified. And it is, a, you know, it's an important story element because that's how he finds out his own name. Yeah. That, but I love, again, the commodification of him, right? This discuss, like Morton just saying, again, he isn't a person. He is a program. He is a product. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. he is one of omni consumer products, products. He's the P in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's right. Like this is the first you know sign that his humanity is starting to come back online, and it's I, I just this is this feels like you know Frankenstein getting off the slab and like running off. Like I'm you know, uh oh, the monster's loose. Yeah. Uh, so this brings us to this scene at the gas station where Emil is uh, playing cat and mouse with the guy behind the uh, the glass who you know is like, oh you're a college boy. He's like just taunting him while he's holding this giant machine gun. And RoboCop happens upon this and intercedes, at which point... Um, I just want to say, too, in terms of Ken, we were talking about the characterization of these guys. You know, this is a little more... You see a little bit of this earlier, too. Emil's very insecure. Yeah. So he's sort of threatened by the fact that this guy's reading a college textbook. <laughs> yeah, I believe he says, think you're pretty smart? You know, think you could outsmart a bullet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. Just I mean, angry it's at terrifying, the world. It's terrifying, though. He's just angry at the world, you know. Sure. He is, sure. Uh, you know, I mean, we never get backstories on these guys, but I'm sure he came from a broken home or whatever. Like, he's, you know, he's nothing good. Um, but, like, I, I I love this moment, too, that, like, so when Murphy comes upon him and he says, you know, dead or alive, you're coming with me, 
the reaction from Paul McCrane is awesome. The, just like, cause he's like, no, we killed you. We're, you know, you're supposed to be dead. Like that whole thing. Like he plays that so real and so well that like the horror of like, oh no, it's you know, somehow this thing we killed is back. Hey man, what you reading in there? <laughs> you a college boy or something? Huh? I bet you think you're pretty smart, huh? Think you could outsmart a bullet? What do you say we find out, huh? I'm talking to you, what do you say? Huh? Huh? I'm talking to you! Drop it! That are alive, you are coming with me. I know you. You're dead. We killed you! We killed you! We killed you! And and yeah. for Murphy to not understand, you know, he, Robocop still doesn't hasn't put it together what that means. Now, how does because this is where you know RoboCop is tracking down his the guys who killed him. Um how does he find a meal? I can't remember. I know we just watched it. Uh he do, he just happens to be driving by and as So it he, literally is just happenstance that he finds him right away. Yeah, he looks over and then like he's he's like his zoom in, like he zooms in on a meal and he sees he's holding a gun okay. at the gas and so he just So know, that's a little that's a little he hasn't started looking for his killers yet. That's right. That's later. That's right. It's actually from this is this what sets him he, on the path. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So that's the thing. So he 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 leaves just because he's like he's got a hard on to go put the whammy on some criminals because he just had a nightmare. Yes. Yes. Uh, got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. So, I do love uh, that. Point blank, people won't shoot RoboCop in the face. It's always shoot him in the chest. <laughs> sure. Yes. The one place he appears to be vulnerable, no one goes for it. Yeah. 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 Uh, just uh, I have a personal connection to this scene because, as you said, it was shot in Dallas, Texas. The guy who is the college boy who doesn't actually say any, any lines is an actor named uh, Spencer Prokop, and we did about five or six uh, plays together back in the day when I was living in Texas. Oh, that's is his awesome. name? Pro- his name is Prokop. Yeah, Spencer Prokop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why he got the role. Yeah, there it is. Clearly, uh, and he's great. By the way, like the performance he gives of like that, like terror of like, you know, because we can all imagine what this is like, you know, like, oh, I've run into a psychopath. Um, you know, what's he going to do to me like that? That very real fear of like this guy could use this machine gun on me. This could be it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really sells that. You know, how scared they are because that works because it keeps Emil from being too comical, like the very real fear that this guy is showing. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, Robocop is, you know, he's replaying this, you know, we killed you bit of the, the interchange over and over again. Um, and so he goes to the computer banks and he reveals for the first time, this Wolverine claw spike <laughs> that comes out of his knuckles. Uh, the, like, like clearly USB Mark one before this, maybe <laughs> we should make this thing less lethal. Um, but he plugs Just it an into absurd, the- an absurd apparatus. Yeah. yeah. This, this monster looking spike that he then puts into a port on a computer to access it as he goes through the databanks and he finds, you know, he recognizes, he matches Emil's face to his rap sheet uh, and then goes through the known associates, uh, including Clarence Boddicker. He checks Clarence Boddicker's known victims, which include Alex Murphy. 
Yeah. It's uh, it's his like, you know, his, his whole like moment of everything's it's all coming back, all coming back to me now. And they go through this pretty. I mean, this investigation is pretty quick because the next thing he does is he looks up Murphy's old address and he goes there. Yeah. You don't get a lot of detective work from RoboCop, but you do get this. Yeah. I'm glad. I think if they made if they dragged this out, it, you know, yeah. it would take long, you know, too long uh, to have this. We've we've got a lot of multiple villains in play, multiple plot lines going. So I don't know that we have time for, you know, a, a Michael Mann style, you know, uh, you know, drawn out detective story with RoboCop. So it's enough that he looks this guy up and goes, okay, you know, he killed Alex Murphy. She said, Murphy, it's you. He killed me. Got it. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of his old deal, right? Is that like the thing that's holding him back is the, the humanity, but his tech skills are through the roof. He can just find it. Okay. I, I know what I need to know. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so we get the scene at Primrose Lane where his old house, which is empty. And again, just like the thing with the, uh, you know, the him coming online, I think there's a whole lot of artistry in the way this is shot. His visit to his old house. I, I really like the scene. It's very powerful. It works. Wow. Can you do that, Dad? And say, it doesn't matter who cooks in your family, because this kitchen by Food Concepts makes everything So the one thing I don't understand about this scene, I'd be curious if y'all had a, any insight on it, is it's clearly like a house for sale that has this virtual, uh, you know, sales agent going around on the different screens. But then at one point there's like garbage, like on the kitchen counter or something. And that's not, it doesn't look like that's in his memory. That looks like that's right now. So it's like, did this house is just slowly going to shit and not selling or? Well, know. we, yeah we should mention what this is. So as he's walking through the house, which is empty, you're yeah. hearing the voice of this virtual realtor talking up the house. And as that's happening, this is the, the present day images phasing in with his memories of being in the house with his family. Um, and it's all just basically the only voice you hear is the, the realtor. And then this kind of really well done bit of score. That's very melancholy as he you know, is remembering these things. But you're right. He does come upon this like garbage. Amy pointed the same thing. We were watching it together and she's like, wait, what happened to the house? You know, like, why is that there? If they're trying to sell it, 
you know, why is there garbage there? And we decided, you know, talked it through. We're like, I think maybe there's like squatters in it now or something, you know, something like that's happening because it's been on the market for so long. It's been untouched in shitty Detroit. Such a subtle choice. I didn't catch it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, Dan, any, any thoughts on this section of the movie or? I think it's squatters. No, I meant, the, I meant so more, I more so the dis- rediscovering his uh, past. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's probably the plot reason. It also just shows you, you know, uh, that this once happy home is, you know, yeah. like everything worse. Everything's worse. Yeah. And uh, he I, uh, he punches out the, the screen with the, the virtual realtor on it. Oh, yeah. A little with, emotion you know, there from RoboCop. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. this is him being, that's the first time we see real emotion out of him. Who are you? <laughs> was that with Emil? Did you do that with Emil? Uh, yes, he does say that to Emil. Mm. I think Emil passes Who out. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting to see some of the RoboCop uh, emotional stuff. You know, and, and it's yeah. funny, you know, we were talking about, um, yeah, it'd be easy to make him really, really body. But this is, you know, there's a great performance by Peter Weller. Not only is, you know, uh, he finding the right level of like very clearly thinking how much how much of this is going to be human, how much this is robot at at various points in the film. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't think we talked about this yet. But you know, uh, he worked with a like a famous mime instructor or something originally um, when he was preparing to you know d- to get all these movements down. He'd spent, you know, it's typical method actor shit, you know, like spent all summer or something or whatever. You know, spent like a long time with this guy to like come up with this like really cool way of like being robotic or whatever. And then when he when they got the suit or whatever, there's like no ability to move at all. <laughs> so, you know, he had to like very quickly like kind of make some choices about what to do. But he's got I and mean, it's so iconic the way like he like turns his chest, then his head. You know, it's all very. I love. I love all that. Every time he like turns, it's very. Um, it's almost like claymation. It's like segmented. You know. Yeah. It's so believable too the way he makes that because again, like you look at some of these other RoboCop things that were done after with different actors and stuff that you know, and it's just like it doesn't work. Like they don't. There's something yeah. about those subtle movement choices that sells the realism yeah. of this like chassis he's in. Yeah, there was a there was a third one with a different actor. There was a Canadian TV series, and then I think uh, there was like a sci-fi series or something where they did one, you know, in in the two thousands or whatever. And you can see like a lot of that stuff on YouTube. And I totally agree with you. It's like those movements are not as good. I feel like you could freeze the movie at any moment, and with that he's on screen, and it looks like he's in a pose, like everything. Yeah. It's like this is like a this pose shot. You can like it's all all snapshots. Every frame of painting. Um, the suit, obviously, on set, probably, you know, I'm sure it was heavy, but it wasn't as heavy as it looks. Um, and that's one of the mistakes I think you can see in, in, in people that don't do it right, where they don't, they're not giving it the proper weight. Mm. Yeah, no, it was notoriously uncomfortable and, of course, hot in Texas where they were filming it. In fact, I think at one point Peter Weller quit early on in the production and they were going to replace him with Lance Henriksen. And then they tried that and it turned out that because this suit had been like so tailored specifically to Peter Weller's physique that they were like, unless you find someone with this exact same body, it's not going to fit. And then we got to start from scratch and they're like, okay, well, Paul, I guess you better patch up things with, with Peter and make it work, uh, which they did. But yeah, like notoriously, like the filming of this was extremely difficult for him. He was miserable 
the whole mm-hmm. time he was drinking, um, you know, like uh, trying to deal with uh, how just unpleasant this was. But fortunately, the end product is amazing. But yeah, uh, uh, it's temper- temperamental Peter Weller stories. Uh, it's better if you just go look it up, folks, because <laughs> we okay. won't do it justice. But if you want to uh, Google uh, or YouTube, uh, Robo wants an Oreo. When we were in Manesson, Pennsylvania, shooting the steel mill, Peter's upstairs. We were up two or three floors. You had to go upstairs to get to him. We had an explosion behind him. We make the explosion hot. We're ready to go. I went upstairs, and I was carrying, I don't know, about eight Oreos in you know, a stack. I'd hand him his weapon. I'd say, Peter, safety's off. And he wouldn't take the pistol. And he says, Robo wants an Oreo. And I looked at him and go, no. It's just you and I, Peter. Robo doesn't get an Oreo. If Peter wants an Oreo, Peter can have an Oreo. And he clip-clops in the suit over to the edge of the railing, and Peter starts bellowing, Robo wants an Oreo. And when the steel mill just echoes, Randy has Oreos, or Robo wants an Oreo. And Steve Lim over the radio goes, "Um, Randy, do you have Oreos? So I stuffed that whole stack in my mouth and then crunched them and let them fall down three stories on everybody below me and I, not anymore and Robo got upset I haven't got a damn clue about Randy Moore and his fucking Oreos yeah it's real funny <laughs> uh, yeah it interviews with the uh, cast and crew I'll just put that um, so after this scene at Primrose Lane we go immediately to you know classic superhero invades a nightclub scene yeah, uh, that we've I've seen this in at least two Batman movies since uh, since then. Yeah. Um, very film noir, you made a, very cyberpunk, you know, on brand. Yeah. yeah, if you made a cop movie in the '80s, there was at some point where you had to walk into a CD dance club. Yes, yes, uh, which is exactly what this is: coked out '80s uh, nightclub, and he's looking for Leon Nash, which is uh, Ray Wise's character, uh, who he finds and uh, just beats the shit out of him. Because uh, he wants to know where Clarence Boddicker is. I, and, and hilariously, uh, Ray Wise kicks him in the balls to try and do something. Uh, which <laughs> Not is, a smart move. No. Because uh, I think he just breaks his foot trying that. Yeah. Actually, it turns out that Robocop is a brain, a face, and they did save his testicles. <laughs> Thank yes. goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> that was uh, it. They just put those on. Give it up for Ray Wise uh, as like when Robocop pulls his the hair. The late great Ray Wise. Him. Yes. Um, his face when his hair gets pulled of like that shock and awe as he goes. It's just priceless. As again, it's just so on brand as far as this like psycho, like unhinged, you know, larger than life kind of feel to the whole movie. Ah, yeah, his scream. Um, he's very big in it. Uh, Ray Wise was hilarious as a as just as a person. Like if you ever watch him in interviews, he's such a ham. Um, yeah. he, he like wants to give you very funny sound bites because uh, when we were watching, yeah, the uh, the uh, RoboCop uh, behind the scenes thing, he was just like <laughs> he made he made because he was on um, Twin Peaks. He made some some reference to Laura Palmer and stuff. Like just like like he's just he's yeah he's giving you what you want. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those glue actors that's just wonderful in everything he was in. Uh, I remember um, he was in this uh, show that only lasted, I think, two seasons called Reaper, uh, where he played mm-hmm. the devil, yeah. and he was awesome in it. Like the show was fine, was but show. like he was, he was just stellar. Um, like I couldn't, you couldn't think of a better actor to play like kind of this version of the devil. Um, yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful actor. 
Um, uh, I don't but, know what it uh, aired on, um, but there was a TV series. I think it was Adult Swim, and it was called News Readers. Um, and it was just like a, you know, a parody of news shows. And it was, you know, pretty funny, but Ray Wise on it. Um, look it up. Ray Wise News Readers. Uh, the clips on YouTube are hysterical. Okay. I will, I will look for it. Um, well, I'm, so, I'm telling uh, our audience. <laughs> Yeah, Not well, they, you they, right they, now. They, you, you've got a podcast I'm, to do. I'm, no, right now. I'm going to hit pause. Yeah, go yeah. Watch it. No, um, so we go to uh, Bob Morton doing coke with two hookers. Um, and, and I think one of them is something like his being promoted to VP turns her on. Uh, but uh, I love intelligent Boddicker, women. Yeah, I love intelligent <laughs> women. Uh, Clarence Boddicker shows up at his door to deliver uh, two things. One, a disc of Dick Jones. Uh, taunting him uh, and uh, a grenade uh, to let him know that he lost this particular game. Uh, Bitches, leave. I'm cashing you out, kaboom, and that's the end of Bob Moore. Yeah. Bitches, leave. Gee, Bobby, bye. You gonna call me? What the fuck are you doing? Do you know who I am? If you think you're gonna get away with this, you gotta God damn it! Ah, 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 stop! I'll give you anything you want, just please, please don't kill me, alright? Hello, buddy boy. Dick Jones here. I guess you're on your knees about now, begging for your life. Pathetic. You don't feel so cocky now, do you, Bob? Whatever he's paying you, I'll double it right now. You know what the tragedy is here, Bob? We could have been friends. But you wouldn't go through proper channels. You went over my head. That hurt. But life goes on. It's an old story. The fight for love and glory, huh, Bob? It helps if you think of it as a game, Bob. Every game has a winner and a loser. I'm cashing you out, Bob. But what's important about this scene is, is this is the first time we realize that uh, Clarence Boddicker and Dick Jones are in cahoots. Yes. Uh, apparently... Paul Verhoeven uh, did not know that the term bitches was a pejorative term. Uh, so on set, when uh, they're figuring that scene out, uh, he's like, um, yes, okay, so you come in and uh, you say bitches leave, and then bitches, you're supposed to leave. Wait, should the bitches leave? What do you think? Should the bitches, should the bitches leave after? Should he gesture and they leave? Okay, bitches, bitches just leave. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that's what went down. I just love that, like, no great. one was going to, t- don't, no one tell Paul. Just let him yeah, keep no, no. doing it. I think they were just laughing. Mm-hmm. Having a good uh, time. Yeah. And a great scene, like, really intimidating, you know, um, funny that, like, yeah, of course, Dick Jones couldn't even bother to do this in person. Um, you know, I'm probably wise to, to not. <laughs> yeah. But, I suppose also dirty. not wise to make a recording of this. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Sure. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that's the end of Bob Morton. And uh, we immediately cut to this 
cocaine factory, uh, like super 80s style cocaine factory. And Boddicker yeah. is trying to buy a product. The cocaine manufacturer is a little nervous about getting into business with Boddicker because he's got a lot of heat on him. Um, and this is like this is the wine in the nose thing. And they're very they're kinda, weirdly yeah. specific uh, cocaine manufacturer character. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a redneck kind of like sheriff style kind of guy. Yeah, you never see him anywhere else, but he's just a, he's like a little too charactery for the <laughs> the role that he's in, I feel. There's a little bit of a Gus Fring aspect to this guy in that it's like, hey, you're this cackling weirdo who's running around shooting people all the time. I'm just trying to like I make a product, I sell the product and I go home to bed. Like I don't need this kind of heat. I don't need but yeah, you but know, you're right, Rich. He has like a weird Yosemite Sam like mustache. He's a strange, yeah. strange character. Yeah. Not not uh, a not a stereotype. Not like, oh, the old cocaine manufacturer. <laughs> he looks yeah. like he works in a pizza parlor. I mean, it's weird. <laughs> uh so this tete a tete does not last very long before Robocop busts in proceeds to kill just about everybody. And I want to uh, say this scene probably solidified my young anti-drug stance. You know, you got, <laughs> you got this this cocaine factory that doesn't exist anywhere, <laughs> you know, where they're like dumping it like mechanically into these like vials as it goes down a conveyor belt, you know, and everything. And then, uh, you know, just the bad guys and Robocop comes in and just shoots the place up, you know, and as an impressionable kid, I was like, yeah! Say no to drugs. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Steps on the vial. Yeah. Uh, we, we watch his targeting system in action. As he just, I mean, he can take a million bullets and he just keeps firing. He takes care of everybody. And he finally. Yeah, I like what Rich Bonica. was saying when we were watching it. He's like, maybe this will work. Maybe I'll be the one to get him. Yeah. <laughs> no, their guns work, but mine will be the gun that works. <laughs> no one ever seems to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and. Boddicker pleads for his life. He says, I work for Dick Jones. Clarence Boddicker, you are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Fuck you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute! I'm protected, man. I've got protection. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? God damn it! God damn it! Listen to me! Listen to me, you fuck! There's another guy! He's a he's OCP, he's the senior president! Anything you say may be used against you. It's dangerous! You cocksucker! I work for Dick Jones! Dick Jones! He's the number two guy at OCP! OCP runs the cops! You're a dumb! Yes, I am a cop. Uh, which is not a good thing to say out loud to a walking <laughs> OCP. He owns the cops. You're a cop. Uh, another thing just about RoboCop's sort of style is very Terminator uh, in the sense that, like, he's a tank. 
He doesn't yeah. dodge. He doesn't. He just moves very slowly, and you can't stop him. Yeah. Uh, and he wants to strangle Boddicker, but cannot because Directive Three uphold the law uh, prevents him. In this instance, it's uh, no longer self defense against a, a room full of armed people. So yes, he can't. I am a cop. <laughs> uh, so we cut back to the precinct where the cops are debating striking, which they're about to do. Uh, but Robocop brings in Boddicker. I guess he finally arrested somebody um, and says, you know, book him. He's a cop killer uh, and uh, walks off. Uh, apparently uh, spitting the blood was uh, Kerwood Smith's idea. He spits a lot of blood in this movie. Uh, so now we get to Jones on the phone. He's, you know, he's pissed. This is bad. Uh, but he says the lawyers will have Boddicker out in 24 hours. Again, showing he, he owns everything. He runs everything in the city. Uh, Robocop goes down to OCP to play. That's pretty good lawyering, by the way. I just want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Caught red-handed in a cocaine factory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On tape. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, exactly with videotape evidence. Actually, though, Robocop doesn't give that to anybody, right? Hmm? Like he's got the recording. Yeah. Right. But that's that might be a little bit of a plot hole. Well, he does have the recording, but he, he's now at OCP to show it to Dick Jones. It's uh, just an interesting choice that he goes directly to OCP. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's got yeah. this evidence. He's going to go, I'm going to deliver it myself to the guy right. without anybody else with me. Yeah. No, no backup. It's, it's, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's kind he, of a funny choice because he tries to arrest Dick Jones, uh, but directive four uh, erupts and prevents him, which directive four is you cannot arrest anybody who works for OCP. You are under arrest. Oh, on what charge? Aiding and abetting a known felon. Sounds like I'm in a lot of trouble. You better take me in. I will. What's the matter, officer? I'll tell you what's the matter. It's a little insurance policy called... Directive four. My little contribution to your psychological profile. Any attempt to arrest a senior officer of OCP results in shutdown. What did you think? You were an ordinary police officer? You're our product. And we can't very well have our products turning against us, can we? Still a little fight, didn't you? Maybe you'd like to meet a friend of mine. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. Uh, And uh, it says he's supposed to shut down when this happens. He is, you know fighting against that programming to not I uh, think it's an officer you know at executive level I don't think he can be Correct. like the guy yeah. who's got he's like the coffee barista in the lab you know in the lobby and work for OCP and, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have to be an officer of OCP yeah um, and we've so he, seen Ed 209 before but Robocop has no idea what Ed 209 is so this is his first little meeting 
Right. Uh, so Ed 209 is summoned. Uh, Ed 209 fucks RoboCop up pretty good, but does run into uh, his nemesis, Stairs. Stairs. Also doors. That's shocking. It can fit through any doors. It's great, though. It's like it's just uh, I do want to watch the commentary with the writer because I just feel like there's such a great uh, through line of 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 comedy and but also plot. I mean, it gets Robocop out of a jam, but it's also just like it's very consistent that this is a bad uh, project. The UD 209. Yeah. It's just not it's riddled with problems. Yeah. Yeah, there's something again that it's comical, but also a little scary that we've seen before. Like, right, this thing malfunctions, like it's unreliable. I mean, and that makes it scary. Well, what's even funnier too is that it's put into service anyway. Like, it is out there, you know, guarding OCP later. Like, like <laughs> they did, they did put them into yeah. into. Uh, you know, Don't worry, Ed Two Hundred Nine's watching the floor. Well, it's like okay, that might not be the best <laughs> idea. Yeah. Uh, so we're in the parking garage. Uh, you know, RoboCop has escaped. Uh, we can now see his eye, which I think is kind of a nice touch. You know, that's his visor is broken, and he's like, "Oh, good cops!" But the cops work for OCP, and they try to take him down too. Uh, yeah. And he is able to fortunately roll through like uh, layers of this parking garage t- until uh, he happens upon Lewis, who's there to save him and drive him away to safety. Yeah, which I don't know, like, how many bullets he, like, can take, but it is an impressive amount because he, he's <laughs> just involved in another shootout where he really, again, d- didn't take any cover. Just, I'll just take all these bullets. I'll take all these bullets. Oh, it's kind of hurts a little. <laughs> yeah, they let you know. I mean, it's getting pretty, his armor's how getting many, pretty dinged up. There's a limit. How many yeah. bullets does it take to get to the center of... Robocops. <laughs> <Tootsie Pop. laughs> yeah. uh, so we get our last uh, news break here, I think. Uh, so we get like a, there's like a commercial for uh, with like a Godzilla type creature for the 6000 SUX vehicle. Yeah. Uh, we hear that Santa Barbara uh, like was scorched by an orbiting space laser, killing two former presidents who had retired there. Um, and that the negotiations to avoid a police strike uh, have failed. And then we get these two interviews with uh, these like man on the street interviews with a couple of weirdos. <laughs> no <Yeah>. guarantees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He Not would have been a meme in an internet world. Absolutely. So it's uh, yeah. What was the, Oh yeah. This is the shop owner. Who's like cops shouldn't strike. And then the other guy's like, whatever, man. But uh, that guy really made a meal out of that moment. Uh, he, yeah. is, uh, he is uh, denoted as an unemployed person, I believe, on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's some pretty good acting. I mean, he's very believable. Yeah. No, very. Yeah. He, you know, he, he feels real in a movie where things are usually pretty heightened. Yeah. He's still goofy, but like realistically goofy. I mean, yeah, he's not, you know, Keegan Michael Key or whatever, uh, you know, his character on Mad TV or whatever, but like, yeah, he's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, th- now why do they end up back at the steel mill? Is that just, they just like, wow, oh, we, we know a place to hide out. Yeah. They don't explain that. We're not quite there yet because there's first this, oh. uh, cleanup at OCP the following yeah. morning where you know, people are, Oh, oh right. shit, we got to replace more broken glass up here. In the oh, executive. yeah, well, this is such Please. a great Clarence Boddicker moment when he comes in and hits on the secretary. Yes. 
he hits on the secretary and he we we're used to seeing Boddicker as like the baddest badass in the room. He's terrifying. But he walks into the room with Dick Jones and Dick Jones reads him the riot act. Hey, Dickie boy. How's tricks? That thing is still alive. I don't know what you're talking about. The police officer who arrested you. The one you spilled your guts to. Hey. Take a look at my face, Dick. He was trying to kill me. He's a cyborg, you idiot. He recorded every word you said. His memory is admissible as evidence. You involved me. You're going to have to kill it. Well, listen, Chief. Your company built a fucking thing. Now I got to deal with it? I don't have time for this bullshit. Suit yourself, Clarence. But Delta City begins construction in two months. That's two million workers living in trailers. That means drugs, gambling, prostitution. Virgin territory for the man who knows how to open up new markets. One man could control it all, Clarence. Well, I guess we're going to be friends after all, Richard. You know, you left RoboCop alive, and its memory is admissible as evidence. It, you know, watched you literally finger me for this crime. Um, and we also, this is getting back to, like, the societal cynicism shit. We, he's talking about Delta City, this, like, shining city they want to build. And basically, Dick Jones says, this is a new market for you, Boddicker. More people to sell drugs to. More, yeah. more places to commit crimes. Um, so, like... The whole stated reason for RoboCop and Ed 209 was like, we need to wipe out all these criminals so we can build this nice place. And now it's like, no, no, that's a justification so we can build shit to sell to the military while we build a new place for new crimes so we can uh, maybe just sell more of these things. Like, absolutely, like, just dark capitalism shit. Yeah. Money, money, money. Uh, and money. now we get to- <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and now we get to the uh, I just want to say about the hitting on the secretary thing that I like just as a character mm-hmm. thing is it's not even done. He's not even trying like in the sense that like he puts gum on her desk. He's a total, you know what I mean? He's just doing it. He's just doing it to be a creep. Right. You know? <laughs> he's not expecting her to say he's done nothing to make her say yes. Yeah. It's just, he just goes through life making people unhappy and uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, now they're back at the steel mill. Uh, unclear why they decide to go there. Um, it is interesting. It's again, like as a, as a, you know, I'm not questioning this as I'm watching it, some of these things, but now as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, why go back to the place where you died? Uh, that seems like an odd hideout. But... Also, it's not their hideout. It's Boddicker's hideout. Why would you go there? Yeah. Is that, is that why? Did they go because I mean, it's his hideout? Run they, into there, maybe they, they were waiting for him. That makes sense. Maybe they were waiting for him. That might, yeah, I don't know it. if there's a deleted bit of a scene or something somewhere that explains why they go. Or I mean, they're like hiding out. Obviously, they're trying to you know not get arrested themselves, but maybe they're waiting for Boddicker. Yeah. Well, then and... Boddicker gets the tracking thing, so that's yeah, how he'd he find him anyway, right there. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, oh, that's Robocop. Convenient. Robocop doesn't know that they have a tracker that says where yeah. he is. So right. Um, but yeah, Lewis brings him some stuff, including his gun. Uh, for continuity's sake, he needs his gun. Um, but he's repairing himself, and he tells her, you may not like what you're going to see. And he takes off his his faceplate and looks at himself in a sort of distorted mirror. 
uh, and she she you know, she says it's really good to see you again, Murphy. Now he finally is, you know, think it seems he's thinking of himself more as Murphy or some version of Murphy or what used to be Murphy. It's really good to see you again, Murphy. Murphy had a wife and son. What happened to them? Well, after the funeral, she moved away. Where did they go? She thought you were dead. She started over again. I can feel them. about what happened to Murphy but he does say in the third person I think what happened to Murphy's wife and son he doesn't say my wife and son he says Murphy's wife and son yeah which is I, I think that's a nice touch now this is I mean this like the, the acting's good throughout but this is maybe the pinnacle of uh, the acting for him because he's got to be a robot who's discovering his humanity who's feeling emotions but dumbed down in a robot way in a third part I mean it's there's a lot of layers to this scene well, and he says something like, I can feel them, but I can't remember them. Yeah. Yeah. And the way his face is like stapled sort of to this, you know, over this metal skull. It's like, again, like the body horror of like what he is, is, you know, it's so sad. It's, you know, just what he's lost is uh, you, you really feel that here. Yeah. Uh, and he has to be left alone, which Lewis does. Um, See if I was get... Lewis, I feel like I'd be like, "Are you sure you want to be alone?" <laughs> <laughs> there would be like two more beats of like, "Yes, I want to be alone." Like, okay, I'm just like, "You want something? <laughs> Are you hungry? You want some baby food? Okay, 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 okay." Jeez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she respects his boundaries. See, that's the thing. That's does. why Lewis is a good partner. And now it's time for looting in the streets because the police are on strike. And so criminals are running wild, including Emil, who's just sort of watching. And then he joins in. Uh, we get a little more of I buy that for a dollar. Uh, and then the, the gang gets back together. Everybody's out of jail somehow. Um, and well, uh, Dick got him sprung. It sounds like he just pulled yeah. some strings. Well, right. it, almost, it also sounded like because of the strike that they weren't even like manning the jails and people were coming out. Someone said like, oh, they just let me out. They didn't care or something like that. I got the impression that it was Dick Jones had set that up, but I'll accept either. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, and uh, he's got a new, uh, the guy's got a new toy, the 6000 XUX car. Uh, but Boddicker has some new toys as well, including this like military grade grenade launcher that he demonstrates I on the car. it's called the Cobra or something, the gun. I don't know if they say it in the movie, but. Yeah, it's, it, it's impressive. It makes a big, big bang. Yeah, it's uh, a cannon. And, and this is where we get Emil delivering his, uh, his line I like it. Oh, yeah. I don't like it. Hey, Emil. How's the Gray Bar Hotel? Not bad. They let me keep the shirt. Nobody popped my cherry. Emil, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Hey, hey. First, they let me out of jail for free. Then, what do I find in the prison parking lot? With a brand new 6,000 SC Still got the factory sticker on it. Hey, Clarence. <laughs> Joey's got a car just like yours, man. <laughs> Yo, Clarence, what do you think, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> what do you got there, Clarence? Huh? Whoa, a 
Watch this. Wait a minute, wait, Clarence! Clarence! Um, yeah, I mean, these guys, this is them at their most gremlin-y because they're just blowing up everything. Yeah. Yeah. Including the adult bookstore, which I was kind of like, I don't know, Emil, would you really want to do Okay. Yeah, didn't show didn't you want that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You seem like the kind of guy who would. Okay. Yep. And so we cut back to Lewis, who is sleeping. Uh, she wakes up to find Murphy. Yeah, sleeping, by the way, on a pillow of metal rods. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's <Comfortable>. like <laughs> Classic Detroit pillow. So is that like a Colombian necktie? Give me the old yeah. Detroit pillow. Yep. <laughs> uh, That's so a she fine Detroit she pillow. Ro- <laughs> she helps RoboCop uh, recalibrate his uh, his shooting mechanics, his targeting. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so he shoots a few things of baby food to confirm he's he's targeting okay again. But uh, the wrecking crew is here. Uh, they tracked RoboCop to the mill. And uh, he says, you know, you should get out of here. And she says, nope, we're partners. Uh, and uh, now we get into this final confrontation between RoboCop and the gang back at the old steel mill where uh, he gives them the business. Uh, there's a lot that goes on in this. Uh, it's a great action sequence. Um, yeah, it's all very well of- laid out. Um, fun little stories, you know, playing out within it. Uh, he, it has my favorite RoboCop line that doesn't sound like a RoboCop line. Where he's like, were you looking for me? Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a, his taunt is very funny to me. Well, again, that is sort of like the, the Alex Murphy's humanity coming through, like these kinds of like, yeah. even going back to like dead or alive, you're coming with me. Like, it's like that there, it feels like, you know, his brain stem is spitting that out because it vaguely remembers that's a thing to say here. It, yeah, you know, right. he seems like he's voluntarily like I can yeah. come up with a punchline. You know, I'm going to say an action line now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot that happens here uh, you know, as he takes down everybody. Um, but the main thing is, you know, first we've got like a car chase between Boddicker and Lewis going on while that's happening. Emil is, uh, somehow drives into this vat of toxic waste for yeah. the most gross thing in the movie. You know, it's one of those things like it's such a strange thing to have happen in this movie. Um, and uh, probably a lot of work to make that happen on a production level. But boy, as a kid, you remember that. Oh yeah. You remember that, that weird death. Yeah. Me sitting there in Moscow, just watching this going like, Oh my God, uh, this movie, I can't believe my mom doesn't mind that I'm watching this right now. Yeah. Uh, It's very, it's very Batman too. The giant drum labeled toxic waste. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. We don't know what this factory even produced when it was operational. You know, why would it have this mutants? Um, Yeah. He's like melted toxic Avenger style and proceeds to like lurch around uh, he lurches over to Ray Wise, who's just like, get off of me. Uh, yeah, don't really touch funny. me, man. That's another great Ray Wise facial expression. Don't touch me, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, and absolutely. That part. I feel like I've seen. I feel like I've seen that freeze frame of like his like as he's yeah. terrified by this. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, then like, he gets he's like, run over by his own friend and then is just basically instant liquid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is. It's not blood really. It's just, yeah, it's something. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing holding Emil together anymore. He's basically melting already. And then yeah, just splatter. You know, I've heard before that you, I don't think this is the case here. Um, but you know, you're allowed a certain amount of blood usually in an R-rated film. Like you do have like, I, I don't know how they how they quantify it, or at least at that time, you know, they were probably, you know, stringent. So, you know, like I know like Evil Dead 2, for example. Well, Evil Dead 2, I think was unrated. I can't remember. But they do like, sometimes like the blood is like black. You know what I mean? Like it's like, is that blood? Like it's shooting out of a wall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They kind of have these like ways to sort of cheat. Um I don't know. I wonder if maybe they were at their quota or were worried they were at their quota. So, you know, a meal is filled with like watermelon juice. Yeah, right. It's not quite it's not quite blood. This is the uh, the second worst on screen death I'm aware of for uh, I'm sorry. The, this is the worst uh, for Paul McCrane. The other one I think of is he was on ER for a while uh, as a character mm. named uh, oh, Dr. Yeah, Romano. That's right. And uh, he a helicopter landed on him. Uh, and injured him, and then later on in the run of the show, another helicopter like crashes on him and kills him. No, really, he gets two helicopters on him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's got to be that's you know dropping the helicopter, you know, and nuking the fridge and jumping the shark. They all seem <laughs> dropping the second helicopter. That's what I would call that. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> was that during the writer's strike? They're like, we can only use. <laughs> previously written material <laughs> um after um, uh emil gets splattered on the hood of the car uh Boddicker drives down into the water into this like slag pit um yeah. robocop follows uh but ray wise is up in a um in a, with his like magnet crane drops a bunch of girders on robocop and he's trapped down there lewis gets shot Several mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Um, but uh, so Boddicker just comes and starts just smacking Robocop with this giant uh, pole, this metal pole and, and like jams it into him. Uh, you, know, you figure he's he's done for, but he pulls out the spike out of his uh, his knuckles and jams that into Clarence Boddicker's neck. And uh, he is no more. OK, I give up. I'm not arresting you anymore. Hey, wait a second. Wait a minute. Digging is kind of personal, aren't you? Come on, man. Come on now, you're making me nervous. Come on, you can't do this. Come on now. Don't mess around. Hey, hey. Come on, man. Now don't get cute.
they'll fix you. They fix everything. Uh, but I love this line after all of this violence. You know, uh, Lewis is calling for help because she's been injured. And he says, he, he's just, uh, they'll fix you. They fix everything. Which Another you know, great line. Kind of, yeah, knowing line there from him. Um, but he, he pushes the girders off so we know he's going to be okay. And presumably Lewis will live. Uh, either normally or as a girl RoboCop, but that doesn't happen. She's not shot as much as him. As <laughs> a lady RoboCop. Uh, not just a lady cop, um, but, uh, you know, that line that he delivers too, like at that point, very much human. It's not It's not robotic really almost at all. Yeah, that's no, pretty human. When, yeah, when he says that. And... Um, you know, also just a thing to keep in mind that movies are shot out of sequence. And so, you know, Peter Weller's doing a pretty good job of tracking, you know, where he is in the script. Yeah. And again, this this whole thing about the, the how dehumanizing everything is in this movie, when he's saying they'll fix you, it's like, yeah, they will treat you like that. They will turn you into me. Right. They will commodify you. you know, that's what they mean by they'll fix you. Not that they will help you medically. You know, they will yeah. you know, they will uh they fix everything just means they're all in control and there's nothing that us mortals can do about it. Uh, I feel like is, if I was a high school English teacher, I would be like, and there's a double meaning here, you see, because they also fix things, you know, they, <laughs> there's corruption. They fix everything. You see, yeah. there's layers here. <laughs> yeah. The but text. that's also true. <laughs> so, uh, so we're back up at the board. Jones is pitching Ed 209 again. And he says, Oh, there's even one uh, downstairs. And uh, we see it. It's in front of the building and it's giving RoboCop the you have 20 seconds to comply bullshit. And I love this. He's got that like military grade grenade launcher fires it at at 209 and all that's left are basically a pair of legs, which is like it's so cathartic. Like, yeah, fuck this thing. (laughs) This thing sucks. And then the legs, you know, not only is everything else blown up, but then the legs fall over (laughs) and like twitch. Yeah. Like the toe twitches. You know, I'll take stairs. that over CGI any day too. Just the just the and fun all day, every stop day. motion of those little twitches, and it's great. Absolutely, yeah, it, it's very Ray Harryhausen stop motion animation, which it is the most dated thing in the movie. But you're right; I think a CG Ed Two Hundred Nine would look worse. It wouldn't have those little touches. I don't know. There's just something about that little toe flipping that's funnier because it's real. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's still an actual three-dimensional object being photographed. I mean, we film. might just be old farts here. I don't know, you know, but like, I just, yeah, I just think it that works. That was the more. other name I came up with with the podcast was old farts. <laughs> <laughs> We're old farts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that like, uh, after RoboCop blows up Ed 209, he does give like a little smirk. Uh, like, again, like humanity. He's a person. He's smirking now. And uh, Jones is speechifying, uh, but RoboCop walks into the boardroom and uh, says, you know, he's here to arrest Dick Jones. Dick Jones is wanted for murder. Uh, yeah. He says, my program will not allow me to act against an officer of this company. And I like the old man because he's the one, like, corporate guy. Like, we don't know anything about him, but he, they never give us any indication that he is corrupt or evil. Um, yeah. You know, he, he seems, as far as we know, he might have some integrity. Yeah. Uh, and he says, hey, those are serious charges. Do you have any evidence? And so RoboCop plays the tape. About killing Bob. I was the tape about killing Bob Morton. Right? Yeah. How can we help you, officer? Dick Jones is wanted for murder. This is absurd. That thing 
is a violent mechanical psychopath. My program will not allow me to act against an officer of this company. These are serious charges. What is your evidence? I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. I want a chopper, now! We will walk to the roof very calmly. I will board the chopper with my hostage. Anybody tries to stop me? The old geezer gets it. Dick, you're fired! Thank you. Shooting, son. What's your name? Murphy. So I killed Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase, erase that mistake. The mistake. Yep. And so did Jones he do multiple just, takes? Did he hire somebody from like Craigslist to film that for him? You know, <laughs> it's like film crew from Better Call. This is my confession right? tape. I gotta make sure this is really good. Well, this is literally my, <laughs> this is my job. I work at Meta you know doing video editing so like i love that uh, now i'm just imagining the ocp uh contingent worker video <laughs> editor who's like damn we need you to do a project um it's high level it's tier one uh dick jones needs <laughs> to uh it's a it's a single speaker uh it's a confession <laughs> for murder <laughs> and you send it back in and you get notes you know <laughs> It's really funny to me. He just puts it on, you know, make sure it's on, I guess, DVD or whatever, or on Spike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jones uh, grabs a gun at this point and just threatens to shoot the old man. Uh, and we see Directive 4 starting to flash in the screen. He can't do anything. Uh, and thankfully, the old man is smart enough to, you know, remember that Robocop said two seconds ago, I can't act against an officer of this company because he says, Dick. You're fired. You're fired. Uh, <laughs> at which point, Directive Four just flies away on RoboCop's. Uh, yeah, I love that. It's there's an animation that they yeah. that they programmed in. <laughs> right. And he says thank you, and he just shoots Dick Jones, who goes out the window with these crazy long arms. This, <laughs> yeah, those arms are is, very weird. It's yeah. a very weird special effect. If you you know, stop and look at it for a second, it's it's really silly. Um, you know, it's but, funny. As a kid, yeah. I guess I guess it is the right interpretation. As a kid, I wasn't a hundred percent aware that the old man uh does he even have a name he doesn't even have a name no no they only call him the, the old the, man yeah that's awesome that that the old man did that deliberately and it wasn't just happens you know we didn't just get lucky yeah that was all like uh, but i think you're right because he because he says it and like elbows him and gets him out of the way it's it's an interest it's interesting that the old man the the head of this horrific corporation is actually a somewhat benevolent figure in it you know he's like out of touch you know yeah. 
Yeah, they get he's the impression Reagan, he's, he's not sort of Reagan-esque, of... I think. He's got kind of a Reagan quality. He's sort of like, I'm not saying that Reagan didn't have horrible qualities. I'm not trying to say that. But, uh, you know, Shining City on a Hill kind of a thing, Delta City. You just get the sense that the old man is just not aware of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the cleverness of that. It was like, oh, I'll just fire him. That'll solve Directive 4. It's a little like uh, the end of Aladdin. of like, oh, if I get him to wish he's a genie, I can uh, trap him in yeah. the land, right? <laughs> S- similar kind of idea. Um, I, I love yes. a good clever ending like that as opposed to just like, oh, I just shoot him. Um, so that's great. Uh, you know, out the window he goes. He does the laser twirl, the the, the gun one more time. TJ Laser, yeah. TJ Laser, he says, uh, old man says, nice shooting, gun, son. Uh, what's your name? And he says, Murphy. And walks off. And that's uh, the end of the movie. Also kind of funny that the old man is, again, so out of touch that he doesn't even know the name of RoboCop. Yeah. This has been going on at his own company. This is his company's creation. He does not know. Yeah. Haven't seen you around before. (laughs) Are you you working the coffee room? What are you? Yeah. Are Um, you new? Yeah. Um, uh, So uh, when we were watching this, uh, we noticed that what's interesting about this movie is it's one of the rare cases of a movie that has almost no falling action. No, there's this is like up there with the karate kid of like shortest denouement ever. Yes. Yeah, it's like two lines and you're out. Yeah. But it's a great it is a great denouement as short as it is. Like just him saying, like, what's your name? Murphy. Like he, he reasserts yeah, himself. I mean, and that really is the denouement. Although I was making the case to Rich the other night that like this whole scene feels like a denouement to an extent. You know what I mean? It's just like, cause Dick Jones, like, you know, he's going to get him. You know, he's got him dead to right. You know what I mean? There's no real threat. I think, I mean, I know it's a movie and he's the hero and obviously RoboCop's going to win in a movie called RoboCop. But like, you know, I think in the steel mill, it's definitely more cat and mouse and there's ups and downs and all of that stuff. But when he goes to get Dick Jones, it is just kind of almost like it is like a victory march. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And there's something nice about that. idea of like, okay, I've really taken care of all of the immediate, like physical threats to my safety, you know, in the steel mill. Now let me just, you know, let me just blast ED 209 out of existence and take care of Dick Jones and we're done. Um, but yeah, the, the comeuppance here is great. And I just, you know, again, it's like, um, everything kind of comes full circle and it's, we sort of talked about how cynical this movie is in terms of its worldview, but I mentioned at the top, like it's also very hopeful in one key respect, which is like all of this dehumanizing shit. Like you, you can amputate Murphy down to virtually nothing, but you can't amputate his soul. Like he, like that, that humanity like rises through all of this shit they've done to him uh, and can't, that it's like, that's the flaw in the, in the RoboCop design is that like, you can't eliminate that no matter how hard you try. And I think that's the like really nice, hopeful note that this goes out on. So, yeah, well, it's, um, but it's interesting because he's on a, I never really thought about this, but the vast majority of the film, he's on a quest for vengeance. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a revenge story. It's a, it's a, in the, the one of these weird movies that's like, uh, the only other two movies I can think of that are sort of like this are like Ghost and uh, Kill Bill, which is like, you know, literally your protagonist is murdered and is now solving their own murder. Um, yeah. But Ghost is actually more of a mystery than this is, than this because, is. because in Ghost, we don't know who's really responsible for, for Patrick Swayze's death. Like here, it's like, no, we watched the murder. We see it yeah. happen. You know, we know exactly who's behind it. And uh, maybe the twist that Dick Jones is more directly involved is a twist, but not much. Um, you know, so it's not about the who done it. It's just about like you know, really, just like will we ever see 
Alex Murphy be Alex Murphy again, or will he be just trapped as this, you know, machine? You know, that's the the question of the movie. Like, is is there still a man in there? Yeah. Um, yeah, Or is it just a face, a brain, and two testicles? (laughs) At least two. (laughs) That's the title of my new country album. Um, so we were able to save his left testicle. What if it's just one <laughs> testicle and it's in his chest? Yeah. <laughs> testicle. Uh, so here we are at the end of the movie, guys, and uh, towards the end of the podcast. So I'll, I'll ask you the questions uh, I always ask, which is, you know, uh, why do you think it is that Robocop has had this enduring legacy? Because I we've got all of these like sequels and spinoffs and the reboot and stuff, but none of them can touch this. Like they're all like tonally off They're You know, there's, they almost feel like they're barely related to this other than the concept of a dead cop reanimated as a robot. Um, You know, this movie kind of is in a class by itself, but I'll I'll leave it to you guys. I want to hear your closing thoughts. Uh, Rich, would you like to go first? I I, I literally nodded at you like, oh, Dan's going to take it. No, Dan wants me to take it. What do you want, Dan? You tell me. (laughs) Why does RoboCop endure? I'll go first. Uh, Give you time to come up with a better answer than mine. Um, Well, I already talked a little bit about how I do think the satire, um, you know, is is still relevant. I mean, I honestly, Trump is such an 80s figure. (laughs) You know, it's sort of perfect because... This movie is is super 80s, super, you know, indictment of corporations and corporations getting involved in in running um, cities and, and governments. So I think that the, the satire is really the reason I think it's it, it endures. Um, it's also just well made. I mean, it's in, it's enjoyable from start to finish. It's got a real sense of fun to it. Great performances, great, simple concept, you know, um, you know Frankenstein as a as a cop. You know, like I think that's just such a that's such an you know easy hook. So I think those are all some pretty good reasons why it, why it endures, and um, also just that great eighties thing of like there's a lot there were a lot of movies made in the eighties that uh, were B movies and were kind of like this and didn't endure. Um, and so it's the ones that stick around. You know, they stick around for a reason because like when they were making this movie, you know, a lot of the actors at least when they were really looking at the script were like, oh, it's fun. It's kind of a weird B picture. You know, I don't think anyone thought that it was going to be um, something that people watched 40 you know, years later. Yeah. Rich? Uh, yeah, I, I, it works as a satire. It works as a dystopia. It works as a cyberpunk. It works as a drama. It works as an action. You know, it, it, uh, it just works on so many levels. And like any great movie, particularly a lot of, there's a pattern of like a lot of movies from the 80s where like the first one is really good and then they made a bunch of bad sequels. But it's like, you can tell just tender love and care was put into every single shot, every word, every performance, you know, everyone who worked on this film wanted to make it great. And I think they succeeded. Yeah. No phoning it in really on this one. No. And this movie, I think, you know, the, you would expect from this that it would be much, as you said, like a B movie, right? Um, It has all of the skeleton of a B movie, but I mean, the title, it's funny, the title RoboCop, if you had never heard that title before, you'd say, like, that sounds like terrible. Yeah, yeah it sounds like straight to video garbage just from that title. But it's not like you as we've talked about, there's so much going on in this movie. Paul Verhoeven is using this as such a springboard to do so much um, that it, it, it has such a unique um, 
the, the world that this takes place in, right? We've talked all about this bleak shit, this, uh, you know, this satire stuff that's, that's baked into this movie. None of it gets in the way of what is ultimately a great story about, you know, a man being killed and rediscovering who he is. Um, all of the dramatic elements still work without all the satire stuff. It's just like, it felt like Verhoeven was like, well, as long as I'm here shooting a movie, I might as well pack as much of it stuff into it as I can. And the movie is so stuffed to the gills with this, uh, these different elements that like I've watched this movie, you know, I don't know, at least 10, 20 times over the course of my life. And every time I find something new in it, there's so much detail in it. There's yeah. so much, but there's also so much heart on screen that like the fact that you like are, are so behind Murphy where like as an actor, like he's a pair of lips, like that's all that's left that you can see. <laughs> and you're still like Hot lips Murphy, they call him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another thing is uh just a great aesthetic design of the character. You know what I mean? It's sort of like Predator endures because Predator looks really cool, alien, you know what I mean? Uh, the Terminator and all that stuff. Like it's just a great design that yeah. uh you'll just remember. And it's great because it's you know Detroit Motor Motor City or whatever, you know, so he looks like a car. Yeah. Like a cool yeah. car. <laughs> they for a while I know they tried to come up with designs that were more like anime, you know, inspired robot designs and they didn't work. You know, they they came they they ultimately ended up back at a design at the end that was a lot more uh the the, the finished product looks kind of like the first design they had. Like they were like, "Oh no, our instincts were right." You know, he needs yeah. to look like this. He looks like a, you know, like a bumper. I mean, he's just all chrome. And, and, and you know, it's cool because, like, he looks cool. It looks like a cool suit to wear and everything. But, again, it's a Frankenstein-ish monster underneath that. It's like a horrific concept. It's, but you forget. You watch it, and he looks like a person. It's, it's really it's, – it's a very neat, neat thing. Um, it's a shiny product built around a horrible, gross, disgusting tragedy, <laughs> which is, you know – yeah, and as a kid, I absolutely had an action figure, you know, and I didn't, I didn't occur to me that, you know, he's like, just, just a head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I just want to shout out that, uh, you know, unlike a lot of movies, especially nowadays, that's where they, you know, original scripts are hard to come by and everything is based on a book or something. This, this was not based on anything. This was a script. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that was just written of like, we think this would be a great story. And it is, you know, and it eventually, you know, the popularity made it into comic books and cartoon show and et cetera, et cetera. But this but was the original. Kombat. Yeah. Yeah. This was the original RoboCop based on nothing more than this. Yeah. Um, well, guys, thanks so much for, for doing this uh, with me. I, I really w have been kind of itching to do a RoboCop episode for a while, and I couldn't think of two better people to have on this show. Um, Thank you. Uh, do you guys have anything you would like to plug? Rich, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, find you, where do they find you? If you're interested in uh, improv coaching, teaching, private coaching, anything like that, go to richbakercoaching.com. Dan, anything you want to plug? Um, I did this last time I was on the podcast and it was a little weird because, you know, I was talking about pain stuff um, because I did the Ghostbusters podcast through a high degree of physical pain um, instead of the usual just like emotional pain of, of, of working with Doug. No, but um, uh, I just I have such a small microphone, but I like to get the word out on this stuff in case anybody is out there and they're dealing with any kind of odd pains or recurring weird physical symptoms. You know, um, I'm a big believer. I'm feeling great right now. I'm feeling much, much better. And I am a big believer in um, that stuff can very often be 
even though you may not think it is, you may think like, I'm just really unlucky. I got five different things wrong with me. Uh, Stress-based stuff. And there's a lot of good resources out there um, that can help you. Uh, I would recommend a couple of books. Um, there's The Way Out by Alan Gordon. I think I mentioned that last time or I mentioned his work. Uh, another book just came out that I got um, called Heal Your Nervous System. Um, uh, I forget the, the name of the author off the top of my head. But um, yeah, th there's a lot of resources out there and you're just not going to get pointed in that direction. Uh, speaking of medical body horror, uh, say, your doctors <laughs> probably won't tell this to you because they can't make money off of it. So yeah, if this doesn't work, you can try the OCP method. No, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's an odd thing, odd thing to plug. But I just again, I like to get the word out. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just plug our old show because uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so go find a podcast, but evil. That there's uh, those episodes are out there still, and they're a lot of fun to listen to. So um if you have thoughts on uh robocop uh or our recent spate of episodes which uh should include Spaceballs, uh our revisit to uh, disney songs and uh gosh what else um we've done a bunch of stuff mitch lately. Hedberg. Um, oh mitch hedberg yeah of course uh mitch hedberg and crash bandicoot were, were all recent uh, additions so if you have thoughts on that yeah, uh, hit us on the socials. Um, also, if you have thoughts on our next episode, which Dan, you actually mentioned it without realizing it, we're going back to the Terminator uh, to do. Okay. Yeah. We we did T two uh, with Rich uh, last year, but uh, now we're going to do the original. Uh, oh well, see if film. I can if you if if I can invite myself onto that podcast. Oh, you're or... absolutely welcome. Uh, we're going to do it uh, not this uh, Sunday, but the next Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. We're planning on recording that, so hopefully you can be there. If not, we'll figure it out because I'd love to have you on that. Um, so we'll be talking about Terminator. If you have thoughts on it, our links to all the socials that we're on are uh, in the show notes, but it's, uh, we're on X threads, Instagram, uh, blue sky, and also on TikTok, just fucking around doing impressions on there, but it's there. Uh, so those are the five places you can find us to contact us. Um, if you have time and are so inclined, please do drop us a review, uh, go to iTunes or podcast addict or wherever you found it. And, uh, uh, drop us a review because that helps people find the show and the other thing that helps people find the show is of course telling people you know the, that it is a, a good time so uh, we appreciate if you do either or both of those things so uh, guys thanks again for uh, for coming by to talk about Robocop this is a pleasure thanks as always for having me thank you for your cooperation <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your cooperation and uh, until next time that is one more entry in the Nostalgium Art Canon I'm quite a remarkable tool But somehow I feel like I used to be someone Who thought about more than these rules Murphy, it's you Murphy, it's you 
Conjure up feelings my programming shouldn't allow. Frustrating glimpses of people who loved me, but what would they think of me now? Strange little ticks from the life I once knew, like the way that I holster my gun. Why can I punch through a wall and not feel it, but don't know that I had a son? Etched in my head all the looks on their faces, the pleasure they took from my pain. Taunting and teasing and making bad jokes just as if they were playing a game. How many corpses are given the chance to avenge themselves after they're lost? Wait till I finally find them and force them to pay for the life that they cost. I have to go. I must not linger. I will find these killers. I'll use my fingers. So I better believe what she said. All of it's true. Oh, see me from the dead. Murphy, it's 